This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and Cerakoting. Your Cerakote specialist is Air Force veteran and retired police sergeant Paul Ware, a.k.a. the Sarge. He can Cerakote your firearms, auto parts, tools, even your sports equipment. And then your master gunsmith is Marine veteran Steve Miller. This veteran-owned business is located at 5025 Saunders Suite, 103, Fort Worth, Texas, 76119. You can call them at 682-304-0363. And you can find them online at www.hrhcombatarms.com. That's www.hrhcombatarms.com. Tell me that's not smooth. That is smooth as silk. I know. Okay, welcome to Two Cops, One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine. I got a special guest with me today, Chris Hatchett. How are you today, sir? What's up, buddy? Living the dream, sir. You helped build this, so. Yeah, I know. It's cool seeing it, like, in in person. In real time. Yeah, and it looks even better in person. Thank you, bud. So, if... Especially, like, the Simpsons treatment. Like, that's just, from the get-go, that's always been a cool design. Yeah, I... So, that was... uh, as a kid, I loved the Simpsons cops. Good job, boys. You know, like yeah, the, Chief Wyndham. Yeah. Or was that Wiggum. Wiggum. Chief Wiggum. <laughs> Wiggum, yeah. That was a bad slip. Um, yeah, I, I just thought they were hilarious. And that's what I kind of wanted to go for, just to showcase my sense of humor. Like, that's how I, that's like the sense of humor I bring when I'm a cop, when I'm out there doing the job yeah. and stuff like that. But even more importantly, how did you like that intro music? Dude, I was feeling that big time. Yes, that's um, sexy. So my buddy Vincent, um, he is a he's a friend. He's not a cop, nothing like that. He legit. That's what he does. Is he just plays music, and he's been playing guitar since he was old enough to walk. And I kept asking him, I was like, dude, I want I want an authentic intro song, not this Apple playlist like <laughs> free play stuff. I want, want something custom. I want something custom that's my own that that I can share the love. You know what I mean, like. So this whole show is just, you know, sharing the love of people that I believe in. So Vincent is one of those. I want to say his last name, but I'm going to butcher it, and I'm not going to do that to him. (laughs) So if you jump on the Facebook page, you will see his name tagged, and you'll see who I'm talking about. Uh, But, yeah, the song's about a minute ten, but obviously I I can only – have an yeah, intro just, just so have a little intro a little 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 vincent love yeah coming so in, vincent you know? i'm sorry buddy i, I would have played the whole thing but you knew i was going to clip it as it was and i i clipped it right when you started just solo Wailing. getting it yeah getting it man so he did all of it too like i know you can hear the drum and all that stuff in the background no way yeah he did it all yeah so, we're, we're have to go check out vincent's tunes yeah and then i know you guys heard that commercial at the beginning HRH Combat. Yeah, you got you a sponsor. Uh, yeah, I got a sponsor, but the even better part is I figured out with this mixer how to, so I don't butcher it every time and right. freestyle it. Now I got it pre-recorded. I just hit a button. Hit a button. Make it easy. And make it easy. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into what we're going to talk about today. First off, I have Chris Hatchett with me. He's an Army veteran. Um, he couldn't get in the Air Force, apparently. So, <laughs> uh, And he is a... I call him Hollywood. He's a Hollywood producer, director. He is the maestro of all that I have figured out editing and doing all of this sound stuff. He's been there every step of the way, FaceTiming me from Portland and teaching me how to do this stuff. So I'll give a little bit of his resume. He is on. He's a producer slash director for things like Silent Night, 
Allie's Heroes, which I was a part of. Um, yeah, you were. That's how we met each other. Uh, this old horse. Not, not to this be, old house. Not to be confused with this old house. Bob Vila, throwback. Yeah. And then uh, It's My Backyard. Chad Prather, shout out. So, yeah. So, um, unapologetic. Unapologetic. Boom. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. <laughs> so, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I, uh, I've been stocking up on my uh, power rings, a.k.a. donuts, uh, you know, so yeah. I wanted to get into the rhythm of things for the Two Cup, One Donut podcast. All so right. I like it. I've got my power rings going, you know, I'm feeling it. <laughs> That's good. You can feel the, the donut vibe. I, yeah. I like it. So, all right. What we're going to talk, you're probably like, what's a Hollywood dude going to talk about policing? Well, first you know, off. Especially since I'm not a cop either. Right. This is one cop. One donut. One donut. What's on the screen? <laughs> which I've been getting a lot of hate for not actually having a donut. We, we need to get donuts. I here. need to get some sort of prop donut. Apparently, yeah. I thought having some badass firearms up here would be. I mean, those are cool, but they're not donuts. They're not donuts. Yeah. So it's not two cops, two firearms. It's two cops, one donut. <laughs> that's that's right. So <laughs> apparently, I got to get some donuts, man. Yeah. So I will. I will work on getting a prop on a donut. But if you're wondering. Why do I have a Hollywood guy here? What's that going to do? Well, first off, he's a veteran, so respect. And that's why I'm going to this is this is around any first responder, military, medical and teacher. So that's that's kind of the goal. So you already fit that part. And then secondly, Hollywood has a lot to do with the perception of policing. Absolutely. So that's why he's on this show and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how Hollywood affects what life is like for us as police officers and the the positive or negative uh, perception they can put our way. Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. And I, I would agree. I think it is a little bit of both. So let's jump off. First off, you got anything you want to say? Anything you want to clear the air on? Anything you want to jump off with? I don't represent Hollywood, so <laughs> my opinions on this matter are strictly that of mine. Okay. Um, I don't want Hollywood Reporter coming after me going, yeah, we didn't say that. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Is there like a Hollywood rep that would come out and be like... I mean, no, but yeah. You know, like yeah. in just like in your industry, in my industry, <clears throat> perceptions, everything as well. So Right. You know, it's got to have to ride that little fine line. Okay, I got you. Yes. Solo opinions of just myself. That's exactly right. And that's the show for me as well. I don't represent the department I work for, which will go nameless. And this is just opinions. I am not claiming to be a legal expert in any means. So Exactly. Um, Okay, so how does Hollywood curve the perception of police? You know, I think part of it is, you know, you you have kind of a split route. Right. So you have one route that's, you know, they're trying to, you know, make policing look like just super badass, which it is. Yeah. You know, it has its not so badass moments, but it's, you know, it's it's a cool job, you know. So it's kind of one of those things that, you know, kids growing up, they're, you know, they're watching these shows and they're like, you know, yeah, I want to be a cop when I grow up. I mean, I was that kid. And so, you know, they have that that good part, too. But then you also have the the not so great part where Hollywood kind of steers it into just making a mockery of policing, mm-hmm. you know? So you have those kind of two dichotomies working at the same time, just depending on what the picture is, you know? And honestly, who's producing the picture. Right. It, you got shows. We just had a SWAT guy on the other day and he said, typically in his perspective as a SWAT person, SWAT's always shown as a, a kill squad mm-hmm. in, in, in Hollywood. So you got movies like SWAT that had, I think Samuel Jackson, um, where he was, he was a negotiator, so he wasn't with SWAT, but the SWAT unit that was on there was all a part of, you know, 
being corrupt and trying to actually kill him and his partner and all that stuff. That's not necessarily showing SWAT in a good light, but it does show SWAT in some cool like tactical stuff too. You know, oh, yeah. flashbangs and repelling Clear. off ropes and stuff like that, which is what they do. Yeah, it is. That's not wrong, but the way they Hollywood, as we cops call it, they Hollywood it up a little bit and. Some of the stuff they do that just would not happen in real life. Especially how like new recruits coming into SWAT with those expectations, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be hard charging. It's like, there's there's times for that, but there's yeah. also times for tactical approaches yeah. to things. You yeah. know, you're not jumping, you're not jumping from recruit to cut loose on the streets. You know, your first year in the SWAT, cruising around in a Bobcat. You know? Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, unless Bearcat, Bearcat yeah, but unless you came from maybe another department and you were a SWAT officer there, maybe, maybe. And that's a big maybe. So oh, you got to be laced up tight for that to do like a yes. lateral transfer SWAT to SWAT. Yeah. And then, be... so another thing that I was thinking of is the show like Cops or Live PD, how they portray police. There really isn't a, a portrayal, is there? It's more of here's what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, one of the big <laughs> myths within reality format TV is that this is reality, right? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you from working in reality TV that reality is not real. Okay. Even on Life PD, you know, they, they, they cut some stuff out because typically we'll go out and we'll shoot and we'll be fly on the wall observers, right? But then we get back in the edit bay and that's where we start slicing and dicing. And, you know, you know a little bit because you cut this show. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can kind of really format things to make it look however you want to make it look, right? So... And then also, too, on other reality shows where they're taping it, it's it's staged to look like reality. Yeah. So, you know, you have your, like, Desperate Housewives, your Bachelors, and stuff like that. It's Jersey like, Shore. No, Jersey Shore, That's yeah. the last reality show I watched. Real, even Real World, right? Think <laughs> yeah. back to MTV oh, yeah. days, like, 90s. You know, Real yeah. World and uh, Road Rules and all Man, that kind of stuff. I loved Real World. I did, too. I loved But it. none of it was real, right? And I didn't know any yeah. better. You had no idea. Nope. Unless you peel back the curtain and actually you're on yeah. set and you're like, wait a minute, this isn't. This isn't how I thought and it was going to be. And as a teenager, like, I was really naive. Like, oh, my God. Can you believe that? You know, that they sn- said this to that. You Snooki know. was out of control. Well, I remember there's one episode where, like, Snooki took a, I can't remember which episode it was now uh, or even what season, but I just remember they were at the boardwalk. and She got punched? No. She oh. took a freaking bottle of something off the front of the bar. That was, and then smashed it over somebody else's head. Well, that's, that's an old Hollywood gag. That's sugar glass. Right. And because number one, a working bar wouldn't have a bottle of liquor sitting on the bar top. Right. Unless somebody bought that bottle of liquor and mm. was pouring it for themselves. Right. You know, I feel like that would be like a TABC no no or whatever state <laughs> yeah, no no, you know, whatever liquor license no no. As a person who's been hit with a real beer bottle over the head, they don't break. No. It just makes a really loud noise inside your body, like you hear it, and then <laughs> then you're holding your head. It, it hurts. Yeah, and it's it's not fun. It's it, it, but like Hollywood does it, you know, all the way back to the westerns, you know, like yeah. the the brawl at the at the uh, saloon, you know, yeah. and people are just bashing each other in their head with bottles and stuff. It's like, yeah. why is nobody concussed? Right, you know, like yeah. this is not reality. So the um the whole aspect of that is it's it's skewed. You know, mm-hmm. Live PD is is a good format show. But it's there's still parts of it that are skewed, right? To say, and then cops, the original, what mm. I consider reality show. Um, my dad was actually on that. Was he really? Yeah, he was on the. He wasn't a. They weren't riding with him. He just showed up on a call where they were riding with another officer, and he. I 
you know, he had his quick little, you know, minute, two minutes Five of glory. Minutes of fame, yeah. yeah. I'm watching him like, ah, too bad t- they weren't riding with him when he got in that ditch fight. <clears throat> yeah. The, That'd have yeah. been good TV. That would have been insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. He would be infamous. Yeah. He'd be like, it, oh, that's that dude. <laughs> yes. Go oh. to the grocery store. That's that dude. I remember you from the 80s. Right. 90s, whatever. But one of the things I think of is the Truman Show. Yeah. The movie when he's like, hero shot. Like, that's how they, that's how they skew the perception. Truman Show is a fantastic, fantastic portrayal of how produced some somebody's reality can be and oftentimes with these reality stars that is how it's done you know you look at the bachelor it's like they've already got wifey picked out from day one oh, sorry really? to ruin that for all of you ladies out there that listen to the show or men that watch the bachelor with your ladies but <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's it's all produced, and you have some team of producers in a room watching all the footage from on monitors going, no, this is how this is going to go, and they're creating the edit for the show as things are happening, um, and it's just it's just not real. You know, okay. it's, it's faux. All right, so you telling us that, you know, producers, directors, all that stuff, they have that. You're basically answering my next question. Do they have that type of power to curve – the perception of, of police. 1,000%. Okay. I mean, so. if, if that show's formatted that way, right? You know, like <clears throat> even, again, I never worked on Life PD, but based on reality experience, you know, if there's a storyline that they want to try to follow, you know, they're going to follow that storyline and try to manipulate it to be a little bit more, not necessarily to change perceptions, mm-hmm. but what most reality TV producers are looking for is to make it more watchable, make it more entertaining, give it more of that zing factor. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's less from some sort of, you know, vendetta or angle or anything like that. I I don't find it to be super malicious often. I find it to be more, oh, we need to make this more watchable. We need to boost the ratings. Right. And let's be real. Like, they're not going to show those cops in a bad light. Because they want to keep the show going. Right. So if they show something bad, the likelihood of that officer or that department participating anymore is going to be very limited. And that's that's exactly it. And that's that's what Live PD found themselves working with, um, you know, a year ago. Because, you know, departments, as, you know, everything started changing, departments started dropping like flies and not wanting to participate mm-hmm. just for PR reasons. Right. You know, so now all these teams that you had working with across the nation are like, well, where are we going to find talent from? Yeah. You know, like departments are dropping out. So we don't really have a show anymore, guys. You know, mm-hmm. and so. I think they just came back. Did they? I, I heard. I was reading an article. I, I hope think. so. I enjoyed. I enjoyed that. show. I did enjoy live PD. Like some of it's, it, it, but what I liked about that show is it wasn't always like exciting every single moment. Right. Sometimes we're boring. Sometimes you're like, oh, okay. Well, we're gonna pop back. We're yeah. gonna go check on this team over here. Yeah. We're gonna pop back with this other team later. And, you know, follow up on this. You know, uh, this call. Traffic ticket. Yeah, yeah. this traffic ticket. And yeah. now you're back, and Hobo Johnson's like running around naked in the street. You know, and it's like, right. oh, this got entertaining. You know. Yes. But what's interesting about that is. The, the the team in the control room is watching all the feeds. So they're talking on a microphone uh, into an earbud of the host. And it's like, oh, 
it's going down over in, over in this feed. And he's like, oh, well, we're going to take a look at what's going down in Tucson, Arizona. And you got, like, <laughs> people going crazy all of a sudden, you know, that just started off as a normal, boring traffic stop, you know, to now there's 16 people getting out of this Kia Sonata, you know? And you're yeah. like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. It's going down over here. So they that in that angle is kind of how they manipulate the the shot and the, and the show mm-hmm. you know it's like oh well this this got kind of boring so we're gonna pivot over here oh this got entertaining again we're gonna pivot back you know like it's less of like oh we're gonna reach out to like try to paint them in a bad light so you you brought up a we're gonna go down a rabbit hole let's you, do it you reminded me of a rabbit hole so let's do it i believe it was live pd they had a cameraman get shot and i believe he died hmm. so as somebody that's in this industry and you know quite a bit more about the reality TV side than I would ever know, how does that affect y'all being allowed to do that stuff? It affects it big time. Production has to shut down. There has to be an investigation done by a law enforcement agency. Yeah. And um, for there's all kinds of legal that gets involved by from all the way from the distributor of whatever network it's on the production company that's actually like hiring the crew to go out and shoot the show, like it shuts down and it's, people are very diligent about safety on set, you know, mm-hmm. especially there is um, a movie years ago, uh, not too long ago, but probably five or six years ago. Now I've kind of lost track of time where uh, there's a camera operator that got killed on a train track Ooh. and it was producers that were like, Oh no, we want to go steal a shot on this active train track that they knew was active Oh. And they put a, it was a Midnight Rider is what it was. And they put this, they were shooting this dream sequence where this hospital bed was on the middle of this trestle bridge. Well, they're filming on it and all of a sudden a train starts coming down the tracks, you know? And so everybody was trying to clear, but there was, uh, I think it was a makeup artist. And then um, uh, a girl that was on the camera team named Sarah Jones that they couldn't clear. That's my wife's name. No way. Creepy. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who was a fantastic person. Uh, and they tried to like tuck up like and just like go flat pancake against the side of the trestle bridge. But when it when the train hit that hospital bed, it sent everything shrapnel style oh. all over. And unfortunately she lost her life, but it was for it was so it was so needless. Yeah. And production shut down and they never went back. As a matter of fact, the producers wound up getting sued. Mm. Probably never gonna work in the industry again. Okay. You know, I think one of them's trying to, but everybody in the industry is like, no, screw that guy. Um, because it was just unsafe. Now, when you're running a show like Live PD, where, you know, people are putting themselves at risk because you're riding out with cops. I mean, if I went on a ride on, along with you. On real calls. Yeah. Yeah. If I went on a ride along with you, I would be assuming the risk, right? Yes. There's probably a deck of papers that I have to sign. Mm-hmm. Sign your life away, right? Mm-hmm. But it's an assumed risk. So all that to say, you know, like there's, it affects production in a big, big way. And, you know, because nobody wants to have production that has a loss of life. Nobody wants to have a production that has an injury, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's, that's unfortunate that I, that that happens, you know, but especially in, in formats like Light PD or even Deadliest Catch. Yeah. Deadliest Catch, they've lost uh, camera people before. They've lost crew. Ooh. And but yet there's still a huge line of people wanting to go work on that show, you know? Um, so there's, it's, it's all about like risk mitigation really at the end of the day. Okay. Well, first, one of the things that, while you were talking that I was thinking of, sorry, I had a brain fart there. 
explain the difference between a producer and a director so people yeah. understand. So oftentimes in different formats, they're one and the same. The current project I'm working on that brought me up here, which I can't talk about, but the current project that brought me up here, um, I'm doing both. Okay. So I'm producing all these deliverables and making sure crew gets hired, um, running the budgets. Producers run the budgets. They oftentimes in different formats are responsible for getting the money to do the picture, you know, because you have to pay for it up front and then go turn around on the back end and try to sell it. So producers pretty much kind of the overarching, I don't want to say like godfather on set, but it's kind of they're responsible for the whole set and they're responsible for the whole project start to finish. A director is often, they're at the top of the food chain as far as creative goes. Their job is to take the script, if it's a scripted show, or take the story, if it's an unscripted show, and turn it, and turn it into something on the screen. And they'll work with like a director of photography and a gaffer to make sure things are lit well, um, and that the, Im- the, the director of photography is responsible image the director is responsible for the actor's performances on, on camera. So they, the directors will have a real tight relationship with all of your on-camera talent. Okay. And oftentimes on, on smaller crews, somebody will be wearing both hats, the director and the producer hat. And that's a challenge. Really? Because you're having to think right brain and left brain at the same time. I did that backwards, right brain and left brain at the same time. And that's, that's hard for a lot of people, you know, but, um, it's, en- it's enjoyable for me because I'm a logistics guy. I like planning out and charting out how, okay, we have this big idea. How are we going to go about it? You know, also too, respon- the producers are responsible for making sure all the crew gets paid. So, you oh, know, if we you. don't budget right, then crew doesn't get paid right because we're out of money. So we have to do our jobs right to make sure that we don't run over. We don't run into overtime. It's kind of like a construction foreman in a way. So the, the, the producer isn't the... Or, I'm sorry, the director isn't necessarily the brainchild of the project. No, the writer usually is. Okay, so the producer is... I'm trying to figure out how the producer gets involved. So Is it the writer so that reaches out? Yeah, so basically what, what typically happens... Let's take a scripted show, for example, right? Like um, uh, Blue Bloods, right? Yeah, So that's a good one. You have a writer or a series of writers that have written these episodes... They go to uh, a, a literary agent and say, hey, we want to make this show. Literary agent connects them with a production house. Production house hires on all the crew. Production house is headed up by a producer. So they say, oh, yeah, I like your script, and we think we can sell this. Or the, the way it used to work is they'd go to a studio. Mm-hmm. You know, your Warner Brothers, your NBC, CBS, ABC. And they'd say, hey, we've got this really cool concept for a show. So the writers are the brainchild of the whole concept. Okay. And nobody really gives a lot of love to the writers, but the writers are really the ones creating these stories, you know, like Mandalorian. Yeah. The writers, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, like all the directors and all the like, like four, foreground creatives, like this is their, this is their brainchild. This is their baby. And it's like, well, no, yes and no. Yeah. The way it looks on screen, absolutely. The story, no. Okay. You know, I mean, George Lucas. Yes, I mean he 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 wrote he wrote a lot of the originals and stuff. Well, what about John Favreau? John John Favreau. John Favreau. Can't say. Yeah, he's he's the golden boy of directors right now. Right. I mean, everything he touches is just man, like gold, like Iron Man, Mandalorian, all the all the Marvels, all the Marvels. You know, 
Um, and what's funny is he came up as an actor, you know, and he was like like comedic actor guy. But then right. I think he started in Swingers. I want to say that was probably accurate. That That's the first like time I first. remember him. Yeah, because wasn't Vince Vaughn in that one too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so all that to say, you know, the writers are really the brainchilds of the story. Right. And they're the ones just sitting on set in like an area that we call Video Village, which is essentially a tent with monitors that all the decision makers could sit in and watch the shots and be like, okay, yeah, no, we should do that again. The director sits in there, the producers, writers and stuff, script supervisors and your whole like kind of like creative team sits in there and watches all the shots and they're the ones that decide if the team moves on to the next scene or not. So the writers are probably sitting in there going, just pulling their hair because how often does it ever really stick to what they wrote? Oh, especially when you have actors who are like, no, no, I'm going to ad lib this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it my way. Ooh. You know? So, which is fine because sometimes actors can do that. Uh, the guy that played, I don't know. Do you ever watch Silicon Valley? Yes. I love okay, Silicon Valley. The guy that played Valley. Jared in that. That was the, oh, the, the nerdy, the like, tall, well, nerdy, the, yeah, like, like very like ghosty looking dude. And then he would get ghetto every once in a while. Yeah. God, that guy's so good. All of that was ad lib. Are you serious? Almost 100% like, of that was When he's ad-lib. like, I'll fucking stick you. With some yeah. shit. I was like, holy yeah. shit. Oh, my God. If you mess with him, I will stick you. Yes. Like, but he, I mean, he's a comedian. Yeah. So when you have those type of people, I mean, Robin Williams, too, same way. Yeah. You know, um, he'd be like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll do it the way that it was written. All right. We all agree that that sucks, right? Okay, cool. I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. And it's a better Certain way. ones, I mean, you know. They, Certain ones. They, they, yeah. But then you have Will like. Will Ferrell and stuff. Okay, so those guys yeah. can do And that. then you have like newbies that are like, okay, dude, just like deliver the script mm. so we can move on. Like, because yeah. your way is sometimes a better way, but more often than not, it's. Yeah. Let's let's stick to the way it was intended. I mean, I'm an actor, so I know totally what you, you do. have. Your own IMDb now. So I do have my check own him IMDb. out on IMDb, guys. Oh my god, it's the best thing in my life. <laughs> I love it. So okay, and I if you're watching this, you're like, who the hell cares? This isn't the premise of the show. It really this you need to. I think you need to understand that part mm-hmm. to understand how things get warped. If it starts with a writer, and my best case for that is Game of Thrones. Sure. Look at how that was written. That is one of the that you always hear people say, the book was better. Like that is like the biggest. Cop and sometimes out. it is. Sometimes <laughs> it is. I hate when people say that. But in Game of Thrones, look at what you got in the first what five seasons, six seasons. I can't remember when it started to go awry, but uh, about like once I got past the books in what season eight. Yeah, yeah. Once the books ran out, like you, there's a clear difference. And so that's how a writer, and I'm sure he even went nuts with that. Like, well, and at that point, he wasn't even writing episodes in season eight. It was uh, right. It, it, it was uh, the two Dan's. You know? Yeah, they were they were writing everything at that point. Right. And but they were also divided because they were teeing up another big film. So it was kind of like mm-hmm. I mean, as a fan watching that show, I was kind of like, ah, they totally freaking phoned this whole season in, you know? Yeah. And you know you're. Some, you know, that's always like the big argument, right? Some fans are like, no, this is great. I'm like, no, this sucked. And, but yeah, no, to your point, it, it's, it, it absolutely begins with the writing. Yeah. So and then what you see on screen is the vision of the director. Right. And that doesn't, correct me if I'm wrong, that doesn't change from Hollywood to the news media. No. And that's scary. Yeah. Because in the news media, you know, you have your your editors that are like, hey, go find me the story on this. And then they'll get a story and they'll be like, mm, 
no, we're going to change it to say this. And oftentimes your reporters are like, no, this is actual. And you have this, the reporters are like, no, this is actual story. But then they get overridden. Yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, news media is out to make money. Yes. So if they're not making money, it doesn't really matter what the story is. Sorry, news media. But, you know, reporters always get overridden by by their producers. Man. And then there is the reporter's name is the one that's going on it. Absolutely. Which that feels like the whole like reporters union and they're trying to like fight for like, no, like I'm the one delivering the story. I'm the one people trust. If they stop trusting me, I'm out of a job. Yeah. Because they'll get replaced. Okay. We're going down another rabbit hole because you're making me think of all sorts of different things. Okay. So I'll challenge your brain. As a reporter, you're out there and you're hired by some sort of business whether it's fox news or mm-hmm. cns cnbc mm-hmm. i can't remember them all i don't watch the news so fox news cnbc yeah, cnn usa today msnbc all those so mm-hmm. you're hired by one of those one of the alphabet companies and more than likely you're out there trying to report straight up this is the facts this is what i have and then they get a hold of it and they're like i don't want to say that they go out and they go let me spin this to make that person look bad and this person look good i think they're spinning it to say how am I going to get the most people to watch this? They do both. They do both. Absolutely. So there's a motivation pushed at them. There's a there's a political motivation depending on what what affiliate you're with. Right? And have you seen this personally? I have not seen this personally, but I know a lot of people that work in the news media that you trust that I trust. Okay. Explicitly, mm-hmm. and especially around like around an election cycle, mm-hmm. that's when it's the heaviest. Um, but if I mean even just reading like uh, like written content. You know, um, I use an app that I forget what it's called now, but it's it's basically it's like a bias feeder, right? So you can kind of get like the neutral story from like your Reuters, your AP, and that's pretty much like the Cronkite version, right? Uh, like just the facts, yes. you know, or old old time copying, right? Like, yes, ah, just the facts, man. Mm, yes, yeah, professional policing. Yes, professional what that was policing. Um, but then you have your your outliers that are. They serve a specific political agenda, and so they'll take that story and they'll spin it their way. The right side will take their story and spin it that way. That's why you see the same story with 16 different headlines because you have all these affiliates spinning it their own way. Okay, and now where is that spin coming from at the very top? Like, it, So let's say it's Fox News. Okay. So is it the person or persons that own Fox News? They own it. Do they? No, it's, it's, it's less, I mean, the, <coughs> kind of... <laughs> This is a hard. This is a hard answer, right? Because yes and no, right? The top gives marching orders, but then you have your producers that understand those marching orders, and they're the ones actually pulling the trigger. Okay. So that the ones at the top, if it goes sideways, they have culpable deniability. Uh, okay. So it's like, oh no, I didn't ask for that. Right. Okay, that makes or plausible sense. deniability rather. Yes. Um. So it's like, oh no, this producer spun this this way, and that then you have another producer. It's like, well, no, I didn't. All right. So yeah, every every polit- every um, not political affiliate, every single news source has its own slant, except for the ones that you find in the middle. And yeah. if you, and I I just make a practice to go to the news aggregators that they pull all their data and stories from, like the AP and Reuters. Okay. Because that's going to be the more boring read. Yeah. But at least that's going to be pretty close to the darn truth. You okay. Know? That makes sense. So I'm trying to get out of habit of saying so. 
So I've been listening to a lot of my podcasts. I well, I have to because I edit it. I drop so's and I drop ums. I say so like, and like so much. like a valley girl or something like. like oh my god! Oh my like, god! Like. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, this what you're telling me makes sense as far as how it the, the influence comes in. And I was trying to stay towards entertainment, but mm-hmm. in a sense, well, then we started talking about news. Then we start talking about news, which is, it's good because they, they're related in a way. Mm-hmm. So there is a a connection. It's the same connection mm-hmm. from what you're telling me. They, yeah. and, it, and that's how things get pushed and perceived in the way that they want it to go. Right. And then when you even look at it from, you know, you look at your Warner Brothers and your Universals and your Sony Pictures. Honestly, all the studios <clears throat> are owned by like... Six different companies, six different major corporations, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're a left-leaning owned company mm-hmm. or if they're a right-leaning owned company, all of their products, all like their studios, they're creating content, they're all going to kind of support that angle. Right. You know? And so like that's, that's probably the, the biggest thing that I've seen in Hollywood is you know, oftentimes, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a true statistic that most of Hollywood leans left. And so, a lot of their stuff, as far as regarding policing, are going to kind of track where the left's perspective of policing goes. Gotcha. You know, and then you also have your conservative outlets that are going to all of their stories that they're going to tell is going to is going to kind of support that right leaning agenda. And so, as the audience, you kind of have to decide: okay, I can accept that this is probably not the truth, yeah. but it's entertaining, so I'm going to watch it. You know, and it's all, and it's not very overt. It's very subtle, subtle. subtext, you know, and it just kind of gets laced in. It's kind of like getting your kids to eat like vegetables, right? You know, kind of like crush them up and like hide them in mashed potatoes or something. You yeah. know, it's like <laughs> they don't know they're eating it, but they're eating it anyway. And you're like, yes, parent score. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of like that with, with stories and agendas in, in movies even, you know, you like you look at the subtext of a movie and you're like, wait a minute, you know, holy cow. Yeah. You know, a prime example of that is like an animated feature long ago. And I've used this in, in, in many discussions. What you remember the movie A Bug's Life? Yeah. So yeah. The Bug's Life was about we the people rallying up against the few that lead us. Because uh-huh. it's all the ants that are like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to work hard, get all the food. And then the 12 grasshoppers show up and take half their food. Yeah. Taxes. Right. <laughs> and so like they, they, they come and take that. And it takes like the one ant flick going like. Wait a minute. Why is this the way we do this? Yeah. No, we need, there's more of us than there are of them. We need to fight back. And so all of a sudden they fight back and take it and they get their, they get their ownership of their food that they've worked for back. Right. You know, it's a great kids movie, bro. I didn't think of that when I was a kid. I didn't either. Watching that. (laughs) Watching it with my kids. Yeah. I'm like, bro, whoa, (laughs) like that's super deep, you know? And that's, that goes into another way of how Disney and a lot of like Disney, Pixar, um, play their, their their kids' movies, right? The kids are not going to pay attention to, like, the storyline, like, the true storyline underneath the storyline, mm-hmm. the stuff that the adults are going to get, right? Right. But they pump it out knowing that their adults are still going to watch it because they're going to yeah. take their kids to the theater and watch the movie that they want. I always like the Shrek series because they put enough adult humor in there Absolutely. to make me want to see it, too. You're just like, oh, that's kind of yeah. dirty. Exactly. And your kids are like, none the wiser, and you're just sitting there smirking. At me. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Your kids don't get that joke. They're yeah, laughing. Why are you laughing at that joke? Yeah. Don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you're older. Exactly. 
You know what it kind of reminds me of? The way that you're describing the slant and the way things are changed. It's like the whisper game. You know, you tell a little whisper to somebody in their ear, and then you get down the line to about 10, 10 people, and what you the original person yeah. said is completely different. The whole story's changed. Yeah. So that, that that's kind of the way that I'm seeing what you're describing to me. Yeah, and that's and and that's that's a really fair assessment of it, you know, um, especially especially going back to news media because that news media is an important form of media that people need to understand. It it ebbs and flows, right? Mm-hmm. Print media, it's going away, right? The newspaper has been one of the most true things that doesn't get spun or twisted because anything that you post on a website that can always be altered at any point to suit whoever posted its agenda, right? Right. If they're like, oh, we want to change this archive story. No. If you print it on a piece of paper and you fold that piece of paper and you, you read it and you stick it in your drawer, years later, guess what? You pull it out, it's the same story. But if it's on right. a website, maybe it's not the same story as it was when it was first published. So what's your view on this? Hmm. And this is one of my arguments. Um, let's use John Wick. Okay. As a person who does control tactics, has a little bit of weapons training and stuff like that, when I watch John Wick, what makes me like John Wick is everything that dude was doing was hyper-realistic. Now, him headshotting everybody and and, and surviving insurmountable odds throughout the entirety of gunfight throughout the whole movie, that's not real. Right. That's not realistic. But... The way he functioned the weapon, the way that he was doing hand-to-hand combat, uh, all of that, the way, uh, all of that was very hyper-realistic in how you should train with a weapon. And that was all done because, like, the way that that performed on camera was done because he spent a year training. Yes. And learning how to move and And, learning how to shoot and learning how to, like, He was running three-gun and doing all that. So... That goes to my argument. Why is Hollywood, why have, for so long, have they leaned towards this this unrealistic perception when the, the realism of a show like, and I think that's why John Wick was so successful, is because now you've won over more of the audience because they're like, that, even if you're not trained, you're like, that seems realistic. Like, that seems right. like that's how that would really be. Well, and, 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 and that's, that's a valid point, right? Because look at the cop shows back in like, you know, 50s, 60s. Yeah. Pure cheese. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they always got their man. Right. You know, and that's, the audience has changed, right? Because like back in the 50s, 60s, when all that kind of started up, that's what they wanted to see. They wanted to see an open shut case in an episode. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, good guy wins, bad guy loses, and we rinse and repeat in the next episode. So the expectation has kind of lingered through decades of filmmaking and TV making where that just kind of became the exception or the expectation. Yeah. So now fast forward into modern day time and you know, the, the, the 80s and the 90s, well, 80s was chock full of just bad cop shows. Yeah. Right. It's just like pure cheese, you know, lethal weapon where it's like, you know, they pick up the, they pick up the phone and all of a sudden they have exactly who they're wanting to talk to without it even ringing. You never run out of magic, never run out of bullets, never run out of bullets, (laughs) never run out of gas on a high speed pursuit. You know, um, even the A team, right. They always flip a car. Yeah. You can't watch an A team episode without them flipping a car. And it explodes. Oh, and somehow it mysteriously explodes. Yeah. Or, you know, 
cops shooting at the at the bad guy car getting away they 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 shoot a couple bullets ricochet off the trunk of the car and all of a sudden the car explodes it's like dude you didn't even hit the tail you didn't even hit the fuel tank yeah you know and if you shoot bullets into the fuel tank it's not going to explode right you know so it's like and the bullets gonna, never seem to go through anything. They could be hiding behind a ping. newspaper and it won't hit them. Yeah. It'll bounce off the newspaper. Or they'll hide behind like a single pole and just turn sideways. It's like, oh. it's not realistic. And so one of the things I've appreciated about shows that I've seen here lately and, and all of that is they're really doing a diligent job to try to represent it authentically. Yes. Um, I have a couple of friends who work on the, or who are actors in the show SWAT. Uh, I haven't watched that. My mother-in-law watches the it's hell good. out of that. She likes it. It's it's really, really good. And what's really, really good about it is it's authentic. I mean, um, you have uh, one of the main dudes in it, Mikhail Vega. He's he's an ex-SEAL. Uh, oh, I, oh I really? Think he, I, th- I think he's SEAL. He's either SEAL or MARSOC. I, I, I can't remember. I worked on him on a – I worked with him on a really, really uh, interesting uh, zombie film that we shot out in Texas. Um, and what was cool about it was we used all, like, you know, SEALs, Delta Force. We had a couple CIA – I've uh, seen that. Texas That's, Zombie Wars? Y- is that what it's called? It's called Texas Zombie Wars. It's on, is it, it's on Amazon. Is it like a, a comedy style? Um, No, it's like a series of just like badass scene after okay, badass scene. Okay, then that's not it then. Okay, yeah. the one I seen was like, it was all, you could tell obviously, it was all veterans and it was just meant to be like ridiculous, dark humor, military funny. Oh, I'm here for that. And it was, it was. Find out what that is and send me like, I will watch that I'll with, tell a, you. With, with a, with a drink. Yeah. Um, but no, like it's, it's absolutely, that's the, the new shows that are coming out. The cool part about it is, is they're leveraging veterans and leaning on their expertise. Even if they're not cast yeah. as actors in the show, they're starting to bring on like tactical consultants and like, Hey, is this uniform dress right dress? Is this like how this is supposed yeah. to look? Because I mean, you look at military films. It's like, why are your patches all screwed up, bro? Yeah. Like, why are you like chewed up like bubble gum? Like, what's going on? It's here? funny you say that because when I got this picture made, so my buddy that I have co-host occasionally, <laughs> once he got not a he ain't got a badge <laughs> because the picture I sent them was his graduation picture. Oh, and he hadn't had his badge pinned on yet, so he's missing a badge, and then. My badge is on the wrong side. Yeah. Your badge is always supposed to go over your heart. Yeah. Oh, Santino's still a, he's yeah. still a recruit. Yeah, he's still a rookie. All right, not even, not even a rookie. He's, yeah, he's, you're right. He's still a recruit. My bad. So oh, I, I'll get it adjusted eventually. It just, it cost me more money. So I got to yeah. pay to you have probably it Probably just fixed. Photoshop it. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff I didn't notice, but man, I tell you what, fans. Authenticity fans notice they that. They notice. Especially they, when you have, and, and, and what, what the best part about it is when you have those diehard fans, because like. When I create content, I try to hide Easter eggs in it, just like pretty much any 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 real person does. That's what I do. That's all yeah. like my poop like a champion box, all that stuff. It's, it, so it, it's fun. It's it's for like the diehard fans go like, yeah. oh, did you catch that thing? Did you catch that thing? You right. know. That's and what's cool about that is that promotes rewatchability. Yes. Because people are like, no, I didn't catch that thing. I need to go back and rewatch it. Oh, and it. then they go back. Yeah. So I... then they're either paying more money to go see it at the theater, or they're renting it again, or they're streaming it again. Yep. You know what I mean? And I'm gonna so start hiding start shit in here. That. You I should. Didn't, I didn't think about it, but I'm gonna start hiding stuff. Y'all better start watching. What you should do? Hide stuff and then do like a little pop up trivia at the end of like, yeah. Tell me, tell me if you notice this, right? I want my content to be strong, and that brings them in. And then yeah, I'll hide Easter eggs and hopefully, absolutely, know, like, hopefully, hopefully, like and on Easter you could even hide really yeah. Easter eggs somewhere. Hey, just spot where the Easter egg was today. Just exactly. move, it, move it around like yeah. up on the shelf. So, how'd you like that whiskey? This is I'm, good. I'm, I'm changing a, the subject on no, accident, but no, this is good. This is this is Novacek. You said Novacek right? stuff. Yeah, it's not bad. No, it's really like, yeah. I 
so I got that bottle and I, he signed it. I didn't want to. Yeah, don't, I don't open that. One. I didn't want to open that one. So that's a collector. I, I don't want to admit when I got this bottle, but it's almost gone. So yeah, yeah, that's how I know it's good. That's how I know it's good. So it's a good daily sipper. So. And then I got this really awesome bottle uh, to take home of uh, Texas bourbon, so I'm excited about that What did that you one. get there, sir? This is the uh, TX Whiskey, the Texas Straight Bourbon. Who got that for you? You did, buddy. That's all right. And it's I'm super excited about it. I had to, dude. I owed you. Oh, like, the, the expertise you gave me in editing and doing all this stuff, like, I know how much that would have cost me in the real world. I liked our late night phone calls of like, oh, crap, this isn't working. What do yes. I do? FaceTiming. <laughs> I got him and his girlfriend, like, literally on the phone, like, saying, oh, my God, I love your show. But you should do this because you're not getting this aspect. I'm like, oh, you know what? You're right. Thanks for the criticism. I love it. Or, yeah. I shouldn't say criticism. Critiquing. Critique. Critiquing. Yeah. Constructive criticism. Criticism can I'm, be both good and bad. Yes. And so she she made great points and stuff I hadn't considered from a, a law perspective because she's mm. she's a, a a lawyer. Lawyer. Yeah. So yeah, I got off on a tangent there. I'm sorry. Rabbit holes, all that stuff. But back to perception and in the control and how I think reality is is more sexy. Mm-hmm. Because I think we've been without it for so long. Yeah, and like I said, John Wick is is bringing that. Um, I'll bring up Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan showed, in my opinion, like people want to hear authentic, long form discussion where they the can unfettered s- truth, the unfettered truth, where there's no clipping or anything like that. If you watch any of my shows, you don't see my head here, and then all of a sudden I'm over here. Mm-hmm. Like only thing I do is go. Camera to camera to camera, like unless something like Kool Aid Man busts through my door, hey. you, you know. <laughs> even then, I would probably still leave it in there just for the entertainment factor. Yeah, but I don't edit anything out, you know. And unless I put my foot in my mouth and accidentally mention my agency, which I've never done, but things like that. Yeah. So I think if we can get the the narrative back towards reality. That would be the first fight in in any sort of byproduct of poor perception with police. We do things enough in our own career field that puts us in a bad light. I'm not saying we do it all the time, but because social media is out there and it's so prevalent and it's it's just stuck on a repeat loop, like look at this cop stepping on this guy's neck or whatever it is. I'm just giving random examples, but it's here and it's now and it's right then and there's no story behind it. Mm-hmm. Like that's already, that's reality and that's already out there and it's not helping when we've got these different unrealistic perceptions getting pushed out by Hollywood or, or the, the news, news media. media. Yeah. So I don't know how to fix that necessarily, but I think if more people keep supporting the hyper-realistic stuff mm-hmm. and not so much the fake stuff, yeah, Hollywood's got no choice. They're going to be like, well, people are watching this. They're not watching this anymore. Yeah. So I think that might help. And I, and I think that too, it, it's going back to managing, um, managing the audience's expectations. Yeah. You know, and going, okay, cool. If they want to watch the John Wick authentic stuff, then we need to be more authentic. Yeah. And you know, like whether it's, you know, showing police tactics on, you know, a raid scene with SWAT or whether that's, you know, one of, one of the shows that we we're talking about this morning, actually, um, the rookie. Oh, yeah. I think there's a lot that they get right. And there's probably, again, I'm not a cop, but there's probably a lot they get wrong, too. Yeah. But even in the whole, like, dichotomy of, like, how you see the conversations in the briefing rooms going with, like, the three new rookies. and It's called Roll Call. Roll Call. Yeah. 
roll call yeah. in the in, in the roll call rooms. Is that what you yeah, call the roll it's call? Roll room? call room. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like, but also seeing the 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 relationship <laughs> between the rookies and their TOs. You know, it's you have the one ex military guy that's like the super you know rigorous strict hard charging guy. Then you have you know another TO that's like super you know she's she's kind and she's a little bit more soft, but at the same time she's soft because the rookie's doing it right. Mm-hmm. You know, like she gives them a little bit of wiggle room to like make yeah. the mistakes and then she coaches them on the mistakes and she knows her job and she knows her job. So okay. now you I- see three different types of TOs and the ways that three different types, like if yeah. they were to survey and figure out, talk to all the TOs out there, this is kind of a cross section of like the three most common ones. He means FTOs. FTOs. Yeah. He's not a cop. He doesn't. I'm not a cop. Yeah. I don't know this lingo. Yeah. But I haven't watched that show, so I can't I can't agree or disagree with you. But sure. from what you're telling me, yes, that sounds very realistic. And and they're and they're super topical about it. But so all that to say, you know, it's it's interesting the way they, they pursue that show. And as a non law enforcement person, it feels more authentic than other shows that I've seen where I'm like, I'm not a cop and I can even still tell that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, like Yeah. I can tell you, since we're going to go down this this rabbit hole. Um, I like our rabbit holes. The, the, the two most realistic cop shows I've seen, Southland, which they canceled, mm-hmm. Bastards. And that was a good one. I did. I really like Southland. And then um, Blue Bloods. And they're still, I, I would think, I still think Southland is probably the most realistic one that I saw, especially because they nailed all types of personalities you see in a police department. And then blue bloods has kind of that here is, here's realistic. Like you got the prosecutor, you got the DA or I'm sorry, you got the, uh, I can't remember what they call him. The commissioner. Maybe, maybe that's what he's called on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a chief where I'm from. Um, Cause we don't have nearly as many cops as New York city has. So, but the way that, Tom Selleck portrays himself as a as a head of a police department. That's what I I mean, me personally, and I'm very idealistic and I'm very glass half full, optimistic guy. I love the way I see him lead on there because he's always playing that that fine line of politics, but it's always geared towards helping the troops the best he can. So that's why I really like that show because I look at it and I'm like. Man, if I ever get to that level, I hope that's how I can be. Right. And it, whether that's a Hollywood portrayal or not, I agree with how he leads on there. So uh, I'm sure I'll be my own type, but that's when I see that. That's what I like. So, and then and then you got all the little things like how they hold the gun, how they um, run uh, a call, things like that. Now, where they do screw up is it's a tactical situation. Now you got SWAT or you got some other tactical unit where patrol can't handle it, but the detective shows up and he's guiding tactical units on how he wants the thing to operate. That doesn't happen. That's yeah. not realistic at all. Yeah. So that's that, that those realistic type shows from a cop's perspective. And maybe another cop disagrees with me. Oh, that shit's all fake. Uh, whatever. In my experience, agree to disagree. Yeah. I, in my experience, they, they do a pretty damn good job. And I can tell that they've got some sort of law enforcement. Um, what do you call it? Uh, 
Support and support, like consulting. A consultant. That's what I was mm-hmm. looking for. Yes, they have some sort of law enforcement consultant because, you know, they keep their, their booger finger off the bank switch, you know, all the time until they're ready to use it. And when they're not using it, I'm seeing them sewell. They're not, they're keeping, you know, they're not keeping that barrel pointed out there at people. They run they're out of bullets. like this. Yeah, they do tactical reloads. And if you don't know what a tactical reload is, that means it's a downtime in, in the in the gunfight. So I'm over there, bam, bam, bam. I get back behind cover rather than guess how many rounds I have. I put a fresh magazine in there and then I pocket my one that I just used. So I know I still have rounds in that mag, but it, I don't know how many I have because realistically in a yeah. gunfight, it's really hard to keep track. You of don't how have many those rounds. unlimited rounds like on TV. Yeah. You don't have unlimited rounds and it's hard to remember how many you fired. Yeah. Um, so if you're like, why'd that officer fire so many rounds? Because he ain't keeping track. I can promise you that. He's trying to see if the threat that he just took out or went after stopped. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so and anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So when well, you, you mentioned something earlier too about like an important part of a lot of these cop shows is not just the relationship within the department, but also the relationship with the DA's office. Yeah. And one of the episodes, one of the actually last episodes I watched of The Rookie, that's just one of the shows I've watched. I haven't watched Blue Bloods a lot. That was one of my dad's shows. And I was like, eh, it's kind of cheesy, but it's, it's cool. I'll watch it with you. Yeah. But like one of the last episodes, there was a scene where he, uh, the main character, uh, John Nolan, he was, run, he was running after the suspect and uh, the suspect kind of like tripped him and he fell and he got like a slight injury. But the DA was like, "Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna go after him and, and charge him as a felony." When, oh, like assault on a peace officer? Yeah, when it really it really wasn't because he kind of tripped on his own, like chasing him down. I gotcha. And so this thing went from like a misdemeanor, like simple dude stole a candy bar from the convenience store type kind of crime. Yeah. To now this guy's getting charged with a felony, and so the officer was looking at the totality, right, and saying, "No, that's that's not right." Yeah. Because I was there, I know what happened, and, and the DA was looking for, let me get my stats up. Exactly. Yeah. And I thought that was a pretty cool, like, little storyline that they unpacked there, because I don't know, does that, I mean, does that sort of thing happen? So, in my experience, I think stats have a lot to do with how job performance is put on a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have some prosecutors in here, so I will definitely be talking to them about that. And I don't, I'm not trying to put them in a bad light or anything like that. I just, I don't like when stats are a part of performance appraisal in a good light. Right. Right or wrong. It doesn't matter. It's kind of like you guys with quotas. It's like everybody thinks about quotas and it's like, well, if any department does that, they're kind of doing it wrong. Yeah. You know, like. You should be going like, okay, like we, we, we've reduced, you know, traffic fatalities down and things like that. Like it shouldn't be measured by how many tickets you wrote out. Exactly. Yeah. And we, and quotas are not a thing guys. Uh, however, okay. I'll, I'll branch off real quick. Quotas aren't a thing. However, your job performance is. And if somebody's going, if you work for traffic and I've used this example before, if you work for traffic, meaning you're a motor cop, you're on mm-hmm. a motorcycle. And your only job is to go out and write tickets basically on the freeway or like maybe a problem intersection in a residential neighborhood or, you know, near a school zone, things mm-hmm. of that nature. So your only job is to go out and write tickets for the most part or make traffic stops. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say write tickets, but at least make traffic stops and let it no- be known in that area. Like you're not going to get away with breaking the law for the traffic co- codes out there. So 
they will go out and write their however many tickets they want to write. They could, that's their job. And how do you judge their performance when it comes time to have your annual or semi-annual evaluation? It's got to be based on traffic violations or traffic stops. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you as a motor officer, as your sergeant, like, hey, I looked at your, your stats in a month. Let's say we'll just go with 30 days. You made five traffic stops. That's unrealistic. If you do that again the next month, we're going to boot you out and you're going to go back to patrol. Is that a quota? I mean, I see what you did there. That's fair because I would challenge that with this question. Would, does every traffic stop have to result in a ticket? Exactly. So that's my argument. Every traffic stop doesn't have to be a ticket. However, if I'm going to evaluate a motor cop, realistically, I have to look at how many stops he's made. Because I know as a police officer, I can watch you drive for 10 minutes and I can find a violation. Oh, sure. For, I mean, you could find one on me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, sure, yeah. I, all too often, you know, maybe I branched over the, the line for a second or whatever it is. There's... There's a, there's some there's sort a, of, there's a child at the door. I think there's a child at the door. So I'm going to let Chris do daddy duties real quick and I'm going to keep explaining to everybody else. So if somebody evaluates uh, a motor officer, if it, if somebody, if a sergeant evaluates a motor officer and you want the citizens to also, cause the citizens support the traffic unit. They, they, I mean, they support, Otherwise, there wouldn't be a traffic unit. I'm not going to say all citizens support a traffic unit, but there's enough that support a traffic unit that that's why they're there. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a traffic unit. So you have this traffic unit, and you want them to be productive. Uh, They're not productive if they're out there shagging calls. Now they're a patrol officer. Their function is to keep people in check on the freeways or in check in these residential areas where they have concern. And the only way that you can fairly judge their performance is going to be based on traffic stops. It, like you said, it doesn't have to be based on writing actual tickets. And I think with body cams and all that stuff, now you have a real good gauge of officers being fair. Hmm. But is that a quota? And that's the hard part. I will say I've never gotten a written warning or a verbal warning from a motor officer. No. I don't, I don't. Every time I get like all the, okay, I'll say it. I get pulled over a lot by motor officers. We don't have them a lot up in, up in Washington because police promise to stretch thin, but living in Texas. Cause they all quit. Every time I see a motorbike pull up behind me, I'm like, oh crap, I'm getting a ticket. I don't even know what I did. Yep. You know, and it's like, oh, you're going five over. I'm like, really? You're writing me a ticket for five over. All right. That's fine. Like yep. you're just doing your, I've always been nice to him. I'm like, okay, cool. Like. That's fine. You're doing your job. Yeah, I'll I, go challenge. I'll, like my argument's not going to be with that officer. My argument's going to be with like the judge when yeah. I go to court. You know, yeah. it's like, listen, Your Honor, this is really five over. Like, can I do some community service? Yeah. Like, what what you got yeah. for me? You know, like, do I have to pay this whole thing? Here, I'm going to give citizens a tip. If you go to fight your ticket, the best way I can tell you to try to fight it is challenge when they calibrated that that radar. The speed up. The, yeah, the the radar. Yeah. 
Other than that, I, I mean, it just depends. But challenge when they calibrated the radar last. You may get lucky and they didn't calibrate it that day. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm at least in the state of Texas, I'm pretty sure. And I'm not fresh up on my traffic because I just don't. I don't, you don't do, work traffic. I don't work traffic. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's got to be calibrated before shift and after shift or before shift, regardless for the light iron. Good to know. So if you're if if you're watching and wondering how to get out of a ticket, ask about yeah the radar calibration. Yeah. Hey, I'm, it's all fair play. It's all fair play. It's out there. I ain't yeah. telling you nothing Google won't tell you. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, you know, good luck to you. Yeah, may the odds be ever in your favor. Yeah, and if the officer doesn't show up, then it gets dismissed anyway. Yeah, maybe he's busy that day. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's got vacation. You never know. You know <laughs> what? It's the CJ system, and it's your system. Work it how you want. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> so so what, ne- what next do we got? Um, so next, let's talk about uh, how Hollywood has has screwed up the perception of police and, yeah. and has actually affected the criminal justice system. And the first one that I'm going to talk about is the CSI effect. Now, you mm. weren't aware of this, and we kind of briefly talked about it before the show started. So the CSI effect, if you've ever watched CSI, they've got some video surveillance, right? They're like, oh, this is where the murderer is. Okay, cool. And then they, they got a car pulling away from the scene. And they're like, oh. Get in on that license plate. And they're like. Enhance. 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 Can you get in a little bit farther? Okay, good. All right. That plate down the road is, you know, Paul Lincoln, Lincoln, Victor, whatever, 7652. And you're like, okay, well, that, okay, that's a stretch. That That's not, I've never seen that be possible. Okay, let's go with that. And then they're like, oh, right there on the corner, there's there's a girl watching that car. See the reflection on her eyeball. They get in there and they're like, oh, it was a black male driving that car off, off the reflection of this girl's eyeball. Okay, yeah. I mean, maybe the tech will be there one day, but it's it ain't there now. I can promise you that. It ain't even close. And that's just hoping that there's a camera in the area. Yeah. You know, this is 2021 and we're talking about a show. I don't even know if CSI is still a thing. Um, I feel like it is, but it's just not good. Yeah, so... Yeah, let's say this is a 2006 and probably around 2006-ish show. Well, but even too, like, think about it like this, just from a filmmaking standpoint, right? Because that's part of this whole thing with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Think about it from a filmmaking standpoint. I mean, your dash cams don't have a sensor that's much different than your webcam you've got. Right. So the fidelity and the resolution in that image, you're only going to be able to enhance maybe one one time. Yeah. And yeah. then the whole thing gets pixel warped. Yes. Right? You know, if you guys had, you know, cameras on your car that was like 8K resolution, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, yeah, sure. You might be able to pull that off. You might be able to get a good, un, uh, like, unarguable read on that license yeah. plate. But you don't. And normally we're talking on these shows like some shoddy security system camera that's like on that's a business. Like 480 by 480. Yeah. Yeah, like it's like this is like the same resolution as your dad's like old handheld camcorder yeah. used to film home movies with. You and know? they got that one hacker guy. They're like, clear that image up for me. He's like, give me two seconds. And all of a sudden, <laughs> all the pixels change into like this more pixel dense image. And I'm like, that that doesn't work. That doesn't Why? Happen. So there has been an actual study done academically 
in the in the universities in the universities yes, yes, yes. Cambridge and Cambridge. things of, yes and Harvard mm, don't yes. forget Harvard indubitably yes indubitably so <laughs> there's places like that that have done these studies and it's literally called the CSI effect because you'll get jurors that come in and they're like we need you to enhance that video because we believe it will show what we need to see wait the jurors will say that the or jurors the jurors. That sounds like something uh, like a lawyer would say. No. The jurors come in with the expectations that we have that type of technology. I thought they just... See, this is changing my perception of jurors. Yeah. I mean, I've gone to jury duty, but I never, ever get selected. I've always hoped I would, like, on yeah. some cool case, but never been selected. So I don't really have a firsthand experience of how the whole process works. Yes. But I just thought they, like, sat in the courtroom, listened... And they went to a room and decided if the person's guilty or not. And they came back out and read the verdict. I didn't know they got to like speak into and request things like that. We're getting so technology dependent now that I am worried that we're going to start having prosecutors and, and, and detectives that they won't even try to push a case if they don't have video evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can tell you real world that I'm, we've got some new detectives and that was a legitimate question. Can I even, can I even get a warrant out of this if I don't have video like that? That was his mindset. Not that it's wrong, but holy shit. If that's where we're headed, that people, you know, old school police work can't, can't cut it anymore because I don't have a video of the offense that mm-hmm. we shouldn't be so dependent. It should be what would a reasonable and prudent person believe based on these facts. Right. Now, if I don't have video, that's fine. But based on all these facts, boom, now I've got my charge. Well, let me ask you this as far as like with, with video evidence and the whole like perception versus reality thing, right? I've heard this from a couple cop friends, but the whole reason, like when you guys are doing a field sobriety test, right? Mm-hmm. The, the test with the light pen, right, it, is, I may be botching the terminology, but it, HST? Um, the HGM. HGM. Horizontal uh, gaze nystagmus is what that means. Yes. So at that point, when y'all do that, y'all already know you're going to hook that person up. No. No? No. No. Because I thought it was like the, the whole like walk no. the line and stuff was like the dog and pony show for evidence for... No. Okay, so, so challenge let me, that perception. Let me, let me walk you through. So there... We're, we're testing all of these factors. There's a bunch of different things. Un, the, you know, the inability to follow instruction, the inability to do the basic um, gymnastics. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to call it. Uh, and then uh, horizontal gaze nystagmus is something that you just don't have control over at all. That's the, the bouncing of the eyes while you follow the light pen. Um, if you're... If the if the alcohol is is low enough, you'll see a nice smooth transition of the eyes, mm-hmm. and that's what we're looking for. I just want to see the eyes going nice and smooth. But if there's a bounce to them, um, and there is a vertical uh, gaze nystagmus as well, so when we do the pen up and down, that's even more rare. So if you if you have that as well, you're really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I am not a, a DUI, DWI expert by any means. I'm going off of my memory from patrol days, but you're looking for a, a certain number of those. So he messed up the walk the line. He had horizontal gaze nystagmus, and he 
was unable to follow instruction. Okay, so there's three points. Now I have enough. But you have that video evidence because it's all in the dash cam. Yes, and you've got the video evidence. Now you're doing all this for a Class B misdemeanor in most right. states, which is crazy to me. It's a lot. It's a lot of overwhelming evidence they're requiring for a Class B. But the CSI effect that's that's pretty fascinating. That that's a great that that's actually a really great example for even like the premise of this this particular episode, because now you're having something that's been studied and taught in probably academies that's the whole title of it's based off of a TV show. A TV show, yeah. You know. Which shows the effect Hollywood can have on the criminal justice system. On real world stuff, right? Because they always say, you know, life imitates art. And so that's an important thing to keep in consideration as artists is what art are we putting out there? Yeah. So how and do you, how does that affect it? How do you think of that when you're doing your stuff? Is that something you consider? It is something I consider. You know, I try to be extremely authentic and even like some of the reality shows I've done, it's like, all right, I don't want to foe a bunch of this up. Like I've done that on other shows and it's not been my call to do it that way. But the downside about it is, is when you don't foe it up, you really lose a lot of those dramatic elements, mm-hmm. which then makes your show less watchable. Yep. And then it doesn't get picked up, or it doesn't last beyond a season, or yeah. doesn't last beyond a few episodes. Which affects if anybody wants to hire you again. Correct. Which, and it affects how much money you make. Right. So, so I let's bring this up. You're a starving artist in a way as a director, and business has been slow. Sure. And somebody brings this project to you that morally, ethically violates your principles, but they're paying a lot. And this is the direction they want it to go. What do you do? I don't do it. I know you don't do it. That's why we're of, that's of, why we're friends because yeah. I know ethically you're sound. But that's something that is out there. That and it's people, hard to turn that down, though. I yeah. mean, I've turned I've turned that kind of money down before. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, like I'm putting my name on this. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's other people that have less scruples and less ethics, and they'll do it for the money. Yeah. That's fine. No judgment on them. They made a choice and they chose money over ethics. They have to live with that. Yeah. Their name's going to be on that. And what's, what's interesting about those cases is when that happens, now their name's on something that's not authentic. Mm-hmm. That's just contrived BS. Right. So what does that set them up as, as far as like a director? Cause as, from a director standpoint, your whole reputation rides on what you create. Right. Less than who you are. I mean, you don't want a douchebag director, but I've worked with douchebag directors that work a lot. So that's obviously not a factor on people hiring them. Yeah. If they get the job done, they get the job done. If they tell a good story, they get they get to work more. So it's it, it's 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 hard to kind of like ride that fine line because you see, you know, you can be the starving artist. It's like, oh crap, like how my bills getting paid this month? And then yeah. you see like douchebag director like just putting out trash, just raking in the money. You're like, man. I wish I didn't have morals or ethics. Yeah. Because I would be rich right now. Yeah. You know? But I think I think that's something that does tie in to your approach to the story because somebody could have some agenda that's like, oh yeah, we want to make this like trash the cops movie. And it's like, yeah, man, let's do it. Like, yeah, we have all this money to put behind it because so and so donated this. So we could make a movie to trash the cops. And it's like, but why though? You're right. Like, what's it doing? Like, what's because yeah. one of the things I always like to look for is like, okay, cool, we're doing this so that this happens, so that people think this way. 
I like to make audience think a certain way, not manipulating them to, but either showing them like a different side of the coin that they may not have seen. Yeah. You know, you're trying to shed perspective and your vision. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, have you, you know, if, if I was looking at this bottle right here, I couldn't tell you what kind of whiskey it was. Cause I'm not looking at the label. You are. Yeah. So, you know, perspective and having that three dimensional perspective is everything. Yeah. And being able to take that into and put that into a story that's always been my approach is like, let's kind of examine the story from all different angles and whether that's like, okay, so everybody's like, Oh no, cops are bad. Well, cool. That's one side of the label. What's the backside of the label say? What's the ingredients in that label? You know, what's the ingredients that are written on the back of this bottle here, right? Let's explore both angles. All right. So maybe we have a storyline that's kind of like formed like a, you ever see the movie crash crash. Remind me. Super good movie if you haven't seen it. But basically you have... Isn't it like the angle of like all, like, like seven, ten people that were yes. all... Yes, I have And then the storylines, there's all these different storylines yeah. that parallel. Yeah. And then they all intersect at that the end. That was the and first like, of its kind from what Whoa. I remember. Yeah. yeah. That's a three-dimensional story. Yes. Because you're like, oh, I'm following this one person. Why do I care about this person right now? Like, it's kind of boring. Like, okay, cool. I like these other storylines, but this isn't this person's storyline. But then they're the damn ones that save the day at the end of yeah. everything else. And you see how they play a part in it. And that's reflective upon how we as humans are on society. Yeah. And you got what's cool about that is it, it's left up to you to decide who's the hero, who's the whatever, in your opinion. Right. You watch it and you're like, no, fuck that guy. My <laughs> my favorite thing, my favorite thing, and like when I've done horror films, my favorite thing is to leave the audience walking out of the theater or walking out of whatever they watched it at going, Wow, that was really good. What did you what did you think about how like how that how this went? It like if people walk away and a conversation is prompted because of my movie or my story, yeah. That's a checkbox win. Right. You know? So when people walk out and are like, well, that was stupid. But I'm like, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> I got you. Womp, womp, womp. Hey, you can't always. Can't, can't win them all. <laughs> it's funny you do that. I'm going to press a button. I think this is it. Nope. That's not it. <laughs> That's all. That's not it. That's not it. We're just going to sample them all. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. Every time somebody walks out going like, oh, man, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. Or like. You get bad ratings on like a film festival or something. It's like, oh, man. But when you walk out and people are talking about it and people are like, oh, man, that was really good. That kind of like that challenged the school of thought I had, you know, especially if it's like oh, it's a super win, like with a gold star and everything mm -hmm. is like, man, that really like changed my perspective on something. Yeah. One of the movies that had a big hit on me was um, Seven Pounds. Mm. I heard of it. I haven't seen it. That's the Will Smith one. Where he's, um, I don't want to ruin it for you. It's really old, though. I mean, <laughs> basically, you can set up the premise. It's not going to ruin it for me. Basically, I'll probably forget by the time I watch it. <laughs> he's trying to figure out if people are worthy of his organs. Oh, he's going to give up. He's going to basically take himself out, and because I, I can't remember exactly why, but I think he had lost his. Significant other in mm. some way, or significant other and kid, or so he whatever. was done. He was done, and he was trying to make sure that the people that he was gonna. I mean, he took a long time to do it, but he figured out a way that he could take himself out and 
keep all his organs and it was going to go specifically to the people that he deemed worthy. Oh, so like this person gets my heart, this person gets my lungs, this person yes. gets my kidneys. Yes. That's an interesting take. And dude, it man, I'm I'm it's not hard to make me cry. <laughs> I'm that guy. I cry every Disney movie I watch with my girls. Same. I cry. I cry. Coco got me. I cried cried at Coco, <laughs> cried at Frozen, cry I mean movies that people are like what uh, Why know, are you crying, bro? What, there's no cry scenes. Real men cry. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I cried. I cried a lot of movies. It's not like like huff and puff cry, but just like a tear comes down, you know. But that's that's what movies are supposed to do. Like I made, I'm a crier at movies. You know, like we just talked about. Yeah, I'm sitting on an airplane once, and I make the horrible, horrible, horrible mistake of watching the art of racing in the rain. Never heard of it. It's got the dude that makes you cry from uh, This Is Us, the guy that plays the the, the husband that dies. Oh. It's got him in it, and he's a race car driver. Oh. And there's just, like, all this sad shit that happens to you him. You got me sad already because I know that movie. But it's like, yeah, it's it's <laughs> such a good movie. And so here I am. I'm watching this movie on a flight, right? And I'm probably – it's a long flight. Mm-hmm. I can't remember where I was going at the time. And I'm a couple drinks in, which that exacerbates my crying. Let's be honest. <laughs> yes. And so, like, here I am. I'm, like, at the end of this movie, and I'm just, like, ugly tears, man. Like, just <laughs> snot, the yeah. tears, just, like, dripping out. And, the, and the, like, the person in the middle seat's, like, what's his problem? What's, what's going on? I'm, like, it's a really good movie. <laughs> That's quite great. But it evokes, I mean, a good movie will evoke a range of emotions. Yeah. I just watched a movie on the flight here, or coming from Seattle to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Seth Rogen and Seth Rogen called an American pickle. Oh. <laughs> Crazy okay. premise. Dude falls in a vat of pickle juice a hundred years ago. Kids find him in this abandoned pickle factory, like modern day times and all of his family's dead. And the only person they find is like his great, great grandson also played by Seth Rogen. <laughs> and so like, it's this whole thing, like fish out of the water movie. The whole movie had me laughing. And then there's a scene I go from like laughing to like the ugly cry in the airplane again. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? Yeah. I'm just ugly crying on an airplane over the freaking American pickle. Like, yeah, but it's, it's a heartwarming story. And I bring these embarrassing moments up with all of y'all <laughs> to say that there ain't a whole lot, but don't yeah, worry. a good, a good movie evoc- evokes thought. Mm-hmm. It evokes emotion. And so a good movie can also change your perceptive perception on something. Right. You know, Southland, somebody watches it. A show or a TV, a show or a movie can change your perception on something, right? Mm-hmm. So people can watch Southland and be like, oh, I hate cops. But then they like watch that and it's like, yeah. Oh, like these guys aren't so bad. Right. I think your kids are not going to get This is the best podcast so far <laughs> because it's the first time I had somebody that's had their children here and they're, he, he came in from Portland. So it makes sense. The poor guy, he's. <laughs> He's doing daddy duties and trying. My kids aren't here for them to play with. He actually has two daughters just like I do. Um, I think his are a little younger. I'm not sure how old. How old is your oldest, Chris? Uh, my oldest is eight. Eight, okay. So my youngest is nine. So the, the plan was he was going to come over and our girls were going to play. And mine flew to Michigan with my wife. And that was unexpected at the time that we had plan this and yeah. I, I forgot to mention that to you and i apologize i'm sorry no it's all good but 
Um, they got the Nintendo Switch out there. They're just trying to figure out how to work it. And oh, I'm like, I don't okay. know how to work it. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. like, you're going to have to figure out your own tech support. <laughs> yeah, don't ask me. I thought they just got Minecraft on the iPad. I know. I guess Minecraft on the iPad like Man, had its time. Kids have it so good. I mean, like, I didn't get to unhook <clears throat> my Nintendo and take it when my dad had work meetings. Right. The only time I got to play Nintendo was on the weekend after the streetlights went out. What turned on? Mm-hmm. After you had to be inside. Yes, you had to be inside. Yeah. So, and then it was kind of a family event. I mean, I'd play. Mom would watch. Mm-hmm. She didn't really like to participate. And then, you know, dad would jump in or, or you know, my stepsister or whoever was there. But yeah. We'd all, you know, Duck Hunt or Mario or whatever, and you try to beat each other's scores. Anyway. My dad used to try to play like the Nintendo, you remember the Nintendo Golf, like back in the old days? No, I don't think I played it. It was like a legit like golf game that you were playing with like the controllers. And I was like, oh, I'll try to get my dad to play Uh, video games with me because like it's golf and he loves golf. And he's like, this isn't real golf. I don't understand it. What do these buttons do? You know, like I'm like, no, you just hit like A, B and like the arrow keys. You know, it's cool. Yeah. But on the on the note of video games, this is a good segue. Like that is another third arm of media. Yeah. And stories. Yep. Because as video games have gotten more and more advanced. There are a lot of stories out there. Mm-hmm. It's storytelling that you get to play and be part of the story. Yeah. The only video game I can think of where police are involved would be Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's, there's that one. And then one of the new, I don't want to say it was a Call of Duty one. No, it was, um, what was the Call of Duty's competitors? The Rainbow Six? No, uh, that, that's one of them. It was Battleground. Battlefield. 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 Oh, it was a Star Wars game. No, no, that was there was that was Battleground. Star Wars Battleground. Battlefront. Battlefront. But Battlefield, it was like an open world like playing game. But then like one of the ones, it was like Battle Battlefield L.A. and you were a cop, and it was like a cop video game. Really? Yeah. And it was pretty sick. And so like you had all these cutscenes where you know. You're trying to like figure out this whole crime case and this, that, and the other, but then you go into like you know this building where this like gang's hiding out, and you're having to get in a shootout with them and stuff yeah. like that. And so I like stuff like that because, yeah. I mean, think about it, right? You have all these like things that happen, and people are, I'm sure, quarterbacking about, oh, you should have done this, should have done that. Cool, go put yourself in that situation. What would you do? Yeah, but I'm glad you brought that up because one of the this this whole show is to improve. Police, community relations. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's the premise. One of the things that I also like is the hive mindset. So if you get a video game, and follow me, people. it We're going on a rabbit trail. If you do a video game that teaches, let's say, detective skills, and it allows, it puts the average citizen in the mindset, even if it's basic, of how to start looking at crimes and how to solve them. Now you're educating people on how to solve crimes and help themselves so they can be in the neighborhood. And when they start seeing actual crimes go down, they can go down these logical trails that that could lead them telling police of a real suspect and, and something that's legit. One of the things that I like to use as an example is Reddit. Yeah, Reddit has notoriously had several high-profile crimes that the hive mindset whether it's an old case or a new case, have come together and solved a crime. And that is legit. And that it's hard 
to validate that because there's so much information you have to rifle through that's bullshit. Right. And you got to get to the, to the, and the thing that's cool about Reddit is everybody can upvote the legit stuff, but it doesn't always happen. Right. It, it, crazy shit gets upvoted and you're like, why is Dogecoin up here? This has nothing to do with the, with the, this isn't part of the conversation. This has nothing to do with this crime, but Dogecoin made it all the way up to the moon. So well, there, that, that brings up a good point too. Cause the hive mindset, there's a documentary I watched it. I think it was on, I think it was on Netflix. Right. And it's called don't fuck with cats. And they know which one you're talking about. And the whole makes me sad. It it, it, it is sad, right? If you're an animal lover, you're like, man, like what's wrong with people in the world? You know, I have a cat. Yeah. But like the whole premise of it was all these people bonded together and used their hive mindset. Yeah. To solve this crime. And they made a documentary on it and they tracked this dude. I mean, okay. This was like legit CSI effect, right? Yeah. Because people are looking at this dude's room and it's like, oh, here's where I can find that like lion rug that he had on his wall. Yeah. Like, here's where I can find it on eBay. Let's go find out the seller and see like who all they sold it to. Yeah. So now you have private citizens doing all their own like investigative research. Yep. People nerding out on it, you know, and, and it's a cold case. Like, no, nobody's, no law enforcement agency is going to go try to track down like who this jerk is on yeah. YouTube, like doing bad things. But the hive mind did. Yeah. And holy crap, could you imagine if like an actual law enforcement agency was able to tap into that? Yeah, and that was, I think we talked about it on the phone when you had that one project that was possibly going to come to mm. fruition. The, the true crime thing? Yes. Yeah. So an idea that I had, and I'm, I'm sure somebody could poke logistical holes in this, but sure. I, I think the, 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 the vague concept, the broad concept of it is is good. The premise is, it, it, my heart's in the right place for this. So take cold case files, uh, high profile, or not even high profile, but high, take cold case files of homicides. Let's say anything that's like a serious violent crime. Sure. Detectives don't have time to dig into cold case files as near as much as they should. And that's just a that's just fact. I mean, you know, all agencies are usually, their biggest problem is they don't have enough people. So you take these cold case files and let's let's create some sort of verified social system where you're going to keep most of the trolls out of there and you're going to allow citizens to help in, in, a, in a hive mindset. You give them the facts of the case that you can give them legally. I mean, if there's juveniles involved and things of that nature, right. there's certain things you just can't give them. But holy shit, hopefully you can give them just enough information legally let them run with it and and come back to it after you know a month or two or have some sort of system admin that that sure. comes in and sees it and is like and think about it from the mindset of people want to be involved yeah look at the trends in hollywood of all these true crime docs that are just popping up left and yeah. right and left and right on netflix and hulu and amazon and yeah. all these different distributors People are salivating over this right now. Yeah. People love cop life. I don't care if you don't like cops or do like cops. People love, they, they obviously love it because the drive is still that we're still watching police shows, you know, and they started in, in, in the 40s and 50s at least. I mean, I am thinking Andy Griffith show. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm just going down the line. Heat of the night. Uh, um NYPD Blue, I, and, I, and this is just off the top of my head. I'm just, I'm just. But naming why is it shows. always like L.A., New York, Chicago? Because it's the largest police departments in the nation. 
Right. But like, couldn't, I mean, granted Mayberry, right? Yeah. But like, couldn't we get, you know, I don't know, like some smaller. You do. You got like Longmire. Longmire is great. I love Longmire. Wait, in Long, in Long, okay, this, this may make me look stupid working in the film business, but isn't Longmire like a Western? Uh, yes it's a it's a it's that style it's a western but it's a sheriff and it's based all about his sheriff's department okay and so it's it, i'm thinking like a modern one yeah yeah it's modern it's like okay think yellowstone but with a sheriff oh yeah. okay so it's not like a setting back in the western days no uh-uh. okay no it's it's modern but it's so it's small town yeah it's small town so you you do have those out there and you also have like miami too i forgot to add that one miami oh yeah because everybody likes miami miami Gotta have the gotta have the like the opening shots of like the beach and like the bikini yep. babes and stuff, and then yeah. here comes like two like studly detectives like hey Miami Vice up? baby yeah, Miami Vice babe yeah, yeah. Uh, guilty pleasure the wife and I uh, more likely than not on our anniversary we're trying to go to Miami nice yeah we I love Cuban food for one I'm gonna wear a white suit with like oh I wear a the, Hawaiian shirt underneath. I wear the linen pants I wear yeah that's the latest fedora I bought. Uh, or Panama Jack hat, whatever you want to yeah, call it. That's uh, a fedora. Yeah, I don't care how you cut yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's a beach that hat white thing. That's a yeah, fedora. I call them beach hats, and yeah, I like them. But you know, I'm a hat guy. I mean, yeah. I've got scallies there. I've got cowboy hats. Uh, I mean, same. Yeah, yeah. You, dude, you live where the last blockbuster exists. Well, close. I live. Or is about it three hours away from it? It's in Bend. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah, but like from a movie nostalgia side point, like I mean, this woman. She goes to Costco to buy the snacks to sell at the register. She goes to Target and Walmart to buy the DVDs and the Blu-rays to rent. Like, she has zero corporate support. This is just her and her family doing their own thing, trying to get this, like, whole nostalgia of Blockbuster alive. Oh, so it's not associated with Blockbuster She has to pay licensing fees annually or semi-annually or whatever their frequency is to be able to use the Blockbuster name because I think Blockbuster is still owned by Viacom. Really? Yeah. All right. In some small chance that Viacom or whoever the hell owns Blockbuster gets word of this. Give the lady the Blockbuster. Quit being a dick. (laughs) Give her that. (laughs) Jesus. Because there's a whole scene. There's a documentary about it on Netflix you should check out called The Last Blockbuster. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. She watches sometime. But like in the end, she's like, I might have to close down because I don't know if they're going to renew my licensing to be able to use the Blockbuster name. Oh, my God. It's like, dude, like, don't be a corporate dick. Right, exactly. Like, this woman is freaking keeping the spirit of nostalgia alive. Yeah. People are, fly- it's great for the community of Bend. Yeah. People are coming to Bend specifically for that. Yeah. You know, it's like a tourist thing. Yeah. It's kind of like, there's the world's biggest ball of yarn, there's Yosemite, <laughs> and then there's the last blockbuster. There's the last blockbuster, right? yeah. You know. I, I would mean, go. It's that's just a stop on the way for in the northwest. If I ever get a chance to come out and visit, I'm definitely wanting oh, to dude, go yeah. there. Oh, dude, yeah, we'll go there. Then we'll go up north and get some crab and freaking just like nice. have some beers and do they have back. is uh, I'm maybe wrong. Is Voodoo Donuts? Voodoo Donuts is a Portland. Is it okay? It is. And you know what though? Hertz Donuts better than Voodoo Donuts. Fort Worth Hertz. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Because when I lived in Fort Worth, that's where I always took my girls for daddy daughter donut days. Oh, have you Hurts been? Donut. Have you been to Funky Town? I haven't been to Funky Town, dude. Legit. I may try to try to because I heard you talk about Funky Town. I may try to check that out. Legit. Quick donut plug, Funky Town. Y'all need to get roped in with this because uh, <laughs> that I, I like mean, hurts. A, Don't get me wrong, best. but I ca- I have I have a personal connection a little bit with with Funky Town, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I'm here for it. I, 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 I the donut's work, a donut. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love donuts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's there's terrible donuts, but it's like having Well, bad, no, no, let's no, be honest. Okay. Not terrible donuts. No, there's, there's not mediocre donuts and then there's good donuts. Yeah, okay, that, that's what I was going to get to. It's like pizza. Yeah. There's no such thing as bad pizza. There's just better pizza. Yeah. And it's the same with donuts. There's no such thing as bad donuts. There's just better ones. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's oh, like, they go the extra mile. You know, yeah. my girls my girls like the, the, the Hertz one because they put Cookie Monster donuts out. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, yeah, they, they go the extra mile. I like decorate stuff, you know. On National Donut Day, I had that exact donut. The Homer Simpson? The Homer Simpson. Yes. yes. So, uh, and that, no. was, that was from Funky Town. And I sent them a picture. Like, check it out. I got See, it. I'm, we're, they, they asked me on the way over here. I was like, oh, are we going to get donuts in the morning? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get donuts in the morning. Daddy daughter donut day. It's a Saturday. Absolutely, we're going to go get donuts. There that's like go. our that's like our ritual, <laughs> you know. All right. We've gotten kind of rain us in. Off on a, a tangent here. You've let's, got the board behind yeah, me. I, I can't see yeah. the board. So we talked about the CSI effect. We're we're basically bringing this back to how Hollywood can deceive the perceptions of the reality of policing. So, yeah. another one that drives me insane is solving a case. You watch, even on Blue Bloods, they get the case. It's You can tell they've gone to sleep or something like that, but yeah, the case gets solved in the episode. And that it's not that the show is saying, hey, we solved the case in a day. It's just the perception of that is the case got solved in this half-hour frame, and that pushes out to the people that we can solve these cases that quickly. So it, when things don't get solved, they're like, but I saw on TV. Yes. You guys can solve this thing in a day. What's yes. up? Why is this taking forever? And and I'm going to let people know that from my own detectiving, uh, if that's a word, that I've got, I would say if I got 100 cases, I'm solving. And that means closing them out because I've figured out who did it and writing a warrant for them. A third of that. A third, and wow. I and I'm dealing with property crimes. Sure, um, and I and this is just me thinking of the numbers off the top of my head. I could be way wrong, and I'm a pretty motivated guy. I try to, I try, I'm I'm trying. It's not that I'm not trying. It's just the volume of cases, and then how much energy you can put into each case. Mm-hmm. And so this is something maybe completely new to you, but that's that's reality. Now on a homicide or on a serious violent crime. The solve rate's way higher, at least at a department that I work around. So, yeah. <laughs> um, way higher when it comes to stuff like that. But when you're talking about, you know, your your car got stolen, your your golf clubs got taken out of the back of your truck, or what is sure. something to that effect? Your 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 catalytic converter got taken. That's a big one right now. Yeah, it is. Um, there's no serial number on your catalytic converter. There's no VIN number on your catalytic converter. So how do you find it? So even if I get a video and it shows this license plate and I can associate that car with who the owner is, but that doesn't mean he's the one that drove it at that time. Even if I find that car and the catalytic converter in there, how do I prove that that catalytic converter is yours? Now one Because it looks like mine. Yeah. One way that I can maybe try to articulate that is going and taking that catalytic converter and matching it up with the cuts on your car, that's assuming you haven't got yours replaced yet. Right. Most people just file the insurance claim and get it replaced right away. So now I can't even match up the cuts. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the problems is the, the solve rate. 
And when you watch a show today, everything seems to be getting solved that day and or within that episode. Now, we'll give Blue Bloods credit. They they do have a they'll have a couple cases that that last throughout the length of the season. And it, it's a builder. And it oh, usually okay. is like the season finale. I get behind with, that. You know, like their serial rapist guy that they were going after, and they he's got a vendetta out against the detective, you know. <laughs> so it, they got stuff like that. So like I said, there's a Hollywood aspect to it, but at least you can, the way they build the case, the way they work the case is realistic. Yeah. You know, so um, another, well, another one is having, you talked about this with me earlier is, having your lawyer present during your interrogation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times in movies you see the bad guys sitting in a in a in a in a small room that's got two-way glass or, or I'm sorry, one-way glass. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "I want my lawyer." Okay, cool. You get your lawyer for you. Now all of a sudden the lawyer's or not even that, the lawyer just magically appears. Right, he's already there. What do you said to my client? That doesn't happen. I've never seen that happen, not even close to that happening. It seems to happen in every cop show I've ever watched. Like, somehow that happens. When part of it is, like, they're they're advancing time because that's one of the more entertaining parts of it. Yes. And it's kind of a lot... It, I guess the writers are like, oh, it's assumed that this is to the point where, like, the lawyer's already gotten there and this has already happened, all these other things have happened. But in actuality, like, it plays on screen as, like, Dude gets arrested. Next shot you see, he's in jail with his lawyer in the interrogation room with the one-way glass. Don't say anything to him. Like, and then you have the detective beating him with a phone book. You know, like <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, why is that phone book over in the corner? Oh no, no reason. It's in case you need to look up a lawyer. Yeah, maybe you're real short. We want you to sit up higher. Yeah, so see, you know, that doesn't happen either. So that's another way that that Hollywood skews the image towards police. And whether that's an intentional or maybe they really think that's what happens. That's not, it's not what happens. And a misconception that comes from that in reality is people, when they are getting arrested, they think they can argue with police and say, you didn't read me my Miranda warning. You can't put cuffs on me. You didn't read my Miranda warning. That ain't reality. A Miranda warning isn't required. At that Ever? Point. At any point? So let me... I'll school you on one of Miranda. Yeah, school me because I need to know. So I'm pretty good at this one because this is my bread and butter for what I do every day. So you're out in the street. And I may have explained this before on another show, but this is relevant to what we're talking about. You're out on the street. You get arrested. We're going to say, Chris, you get arrested. Okay. Another typical day. Yeah. You you got caught uh, peeing in public and a cop saw you doing it. Sounds like something I would do. He doesn't need to ask you anything because he saw you do it. So he comes up, come here, Chris, turn around, put your hands behind your back. You're like, damn it, caught me again. (laughs) I got the serial pisser. The unipeer. Yeah, the (laughs) unipeer. So makes you turn around, puts the cuffs on you. Now the officer's like, why were you peeing out there, man? Oh, I was peeing because my girlfriend just left me and I drank a bunch of beer. All right. Now, my, my excuse would have been, like, I was peeing because, like, I really had to go, and the freaking dude yeah. was taking a freaking hour and a half deuce inside, and I was about to piss myself. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, he starts asking you, after he's arrested you, why you were peeing. And then he gets he, he gets all your answers, and he goes to his report, and he writes all that down. Like, he said he was peeing. He said he did this and that. 
none of that is admissible in court because he didn't read your Miranda warning before he started asking you questions about a crime he knew you committed. Mm. Now, he can still arrest you for the on-view offense. You're still arrested for that. But in court, anything you said after the point that he arrested you is inadmissible. It's called fruit of the poisonous tree because he didn't read his the Miranda warning to you. Now, let me change the scenario up a little bit. Some person comes up to me on the street and says, that guy over there is peeing in the corner. So I go over there. You're not peeing. I see liquid on the side of the building. I can smell piss. But I'm just standing there. But you're standing there, and you got fresh liquid on your pants in front of you, and you appear intoxicated. I got a lot of elements. I can articulate, like, yeah, this guy probably just pissed. So I put cuffs on you. I'm like, hey, man, you're under arrest. I think you pissed in public. And and that's all I need to arrest you. I don't need 100%. I don't need a locked, solid case. I just need about 51%. Sure. Uh, to articulate like all those elements. Any reasonable and prudent person would believe you did just piss in public, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a third party independent witness that has nothing to do with me and came up and said, that guy pissed. I can see steaming liquid off of a building that would show me that eh, that's, this is fresh. That's probably what pee does. It smells like urine. I can tell you, I, as a person who's peed my whole life, I know what urine smells like. And then you've got fresh, what looks like urine on the front of your pants and you're stumbling around drunk and drunk people tend to piss in public. All the dots line up. Yeah. So I've got all these elements, right? I put the cuffs on you. I put you in the back of my car. If I want to ask you, Hey man, after I've just put you under us, Hey, why were you peeing over there? I have to read you the Miranda warning first because I suspect you of committing that crime. So what would happen in reality is I get all those elements as a patrol officer and then I put you in cuffs and then I take you to jail. I don't ask you any questions. Okay. So let's spin this into like a TV format, right? Okay. So you're a homicide detective. Ooh, I moved up. And, right. right, you're over. You're a homicide detective, and you've been on this case trying to track down this serial killer, serial pisser, serial killer. Because okay. homicide department. Oh yeah, yeah, my bad. <laughs> you're not in patrol Who anymore. pees at the scene every time? <laughs> he urinates. Yeah, the victim. The victim. <laughs> um, but so you've been tracking this guy, and all the evidence has finally led you to enough credible reasoning to place an arrest. Mm-hmm. In the shows and in the movies, it's like, as soon as you're taking him to the cop car, you're putting your hand on his head, pushing him in, you got the right to remain silent, anything you're saying, do, blah, blah, blah. Would that be an appropriate time to Mirandize somebody on a homicide arrest, or would that happen once they get to jail? It like, de- what's the accurate thing? If you were my, if you were my law enforcement <laughs> consultant, and I'm like, hey, so here's a scene. Actor's gonna, actor homicide detective is going to arrest this dude, actor killer. What happens next? What's authentic? What's the real thing? Okay, so in my experience, realistically, what would happen? If I'm the detective and I make the arrest, which is... Probably wouldn't happen, right? Isn't necessarily likely. More than likely, what's going to happen? If, like you said, I get enough evidence, I'm going to write a warrant. And I'm going to put that out there. And then it's not necessarily the patrol is going to get it. They can. That's a possibility. Patrol could find him randomly. 
Um, but it's more likely going to go to like a fugitive team. Mm. And that's their whole job is to catch violent felons that have warrants. And that's a fugitive team within a department, right? Within Not like a bounty hunters or no, something. No, no, party. no, no. So more than likely a specialized unit's going to pick up a homicide suspect like that. That's assuming that they didn't know who it was going to be or anything like that, and the detective comes up with a warrant. So let's say a fugitive team gets him. If a fugitive team gets him, they're not reading a Miranda warning, but they're also not asking him anything. They're not saying a damn word to him. They're going to go get him. Hey, you're under arrest. You got a warrant. Boom. They put him in cuffs or however tactically they need to do that. And they don't say a word. They call that detective on the phone. Hey, we got your guy. You want us to bring him in? That detective, if it's a homicide detective, absolutely he wants him brought in. And what I mean by brought in, he's not going to jail. He's going straight to the detective's office. Oh. So he doesn't even go to jail. So that that homicide suspect goes from being arrested by a specialized unit because of the high risk involved. Sure. It's a homicide suspect. And he's going straight to the detective's office. So he gets there, and then it's that waiting game. If you ever watch the first 48, you see him just sitting there, and they usually put their head down on the table or whatever. And they, that's, that's a strategy. They know, yeah. It's a strategy by the detectives. They're making them sweat it out while they gather themselves and put all their ducks in a row before they go in there and start questioning him. But that is normal. And when they get in there, they're going to sit down and they're going to say, hey, I'm sure you got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions too. But before I can get to that, I have to read this. I provided a copy for you to read along with me. You read and write in English, correct? Yes, you do. Okay. Can you say the S for the cameras? You are being recorded. Yes. Audibly and visually. <laughs> and and that's how this is going to go down. So I've got my copy of the Miranda warning. I'm reading from and verbatim and a copy for him. And then when they're done, I'm going to have them sign saying you understand. And I'm a, I, I go to the extra degree after each bullet point of the Miranda. I have them sign their initials. You understand this this bullet point that I read to you? Yes, you do? Okay, can you initial there? Okay, cool. We're going to go to the next one. You know, you have the right to an attorney, and you can end questioning. I, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but you have the right to end questioning at any time. You understand that one, right? Okay, with these rights that I've read to you, you understand them, correct? Yes. And with those rights understood, do you still want to talk to me without a lawyer? Yes, you do? Okay, can you initial that part? Okay, from here, I need you to sign and date, today's date. I'm going to sign my name. My name is Eric A. Levine, badge number 4098. Today's date is this. And I'm saying this out loud, so the camera gets it too. Mm -hmm. So there is no question throughout this entire process. He said he reads and writes in English. He said he understood each right as we went through the bullet points. Not only that, he initialed them. Not only did he initial him, he signed his name at the very end after I reiterized that he has the right to stop questioning anytime and he can have an attorney present. Right. So that is realistically how it goes because I'm not giving them any chance to use some sort of stupid technicality to get out of it. And see, I'll tell you something from a Hollywood standpoint, that's less sexy. Like there's a lot to that. Mm-hmm. What you just rattled through. Yeah. There's a lot to that process that the audience at that point of the story doesn't really care about. Yeah. So that's why oftentimes but, things get kind of glanced over. But do they not care? Who's who's to say? Who's to say, right? The general audience. I'm talking about the people that just, I call right. them the popcorn munchers. Yeah. 
They but, don't care. They just want to see the good guy win. Right, maybe. But then you have your purists. You have, so the two audience that, that I try to play to are the popcorn munchers and the purists. And I try to find somewhere in the middle to kind of let the story live. And so your popcorn munchers aren't going to give two craps about, like, the whole Mirandizing process. Sign here, do this, blah, 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 yeah. blah. The purists, however, will. So maybe there's, like, an abbreviated version of that, you know? So maybe the guy is not getting Mirandized is getting his head pushed down in the car, you know? Yeah. Maybe it happens back at the station. You know, maybe it's, you know, cut to, like, CCTV footage of the dude sweating out in the interrogation room. Yeah. You know, like, that's ways that you could, like, make it more authentic. But every single one of these cop shows, it's like, dude's getting in the car. And it's the Miranda's, patrol officer. And it's reading, a patrol yeah. officer. You yeah. know, it's like, dude, this was, as they're you putting just a, killed like 40 people yeah. over the course of nine years. Like, come on. Like, yeah. This as they're putting the cuffs on too, that's the one that always cracks me up. Like they're, they're saying the Miranda by memory as they're putting cuffs on. And I'm just, it just doesn't. I mean, happen. let's be real though. There, there are some freaking hard charging cops out there that have that strip memorized, right? I'm sure they do, but Geo's policy dictates that you're supposed to read it as verbatim off the card. Yes, because you miss a word, you, you screw up, and it's not in there. That is a part for the defense to tear you up. Yeah. So that's interesting, though. Yeah. But yeah, no, absolutely. It's like as soon as the dude's getting hooked up with these things, right? Yeah. Dude sucks them on. You're on the right to remain silent. Anything you say and do can be used against you in the court of law, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And it's like, that's so fake. Yeah. And so, but then like I would add like a third a third group to that audience. People that work in law enforcement. Yeah. Part of the purists, right? Yeah. Because you guys are going to look at it as a show that's going to be like, no, that is absolute garbage. Now you don't like the show. Yeah. Because it's like, no, this is inauthentic. Yep. Like, they I, didn't have a single officer, like, consulting them on this thing, did they? It, they didn't have anybody working in yeah. law enforcement consulting, did they? And, they didn't care. And to to give credibility to what you're saying, one of the most popular shows that I can think of, The Walking Dead. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Up until the point where a show, a mo- or it's not a movie, but a show like that, that got so much money, and I'm watching a guy shoot a uh, AK and I see the bolt doesn't move as he's got flashes coming out of the front. Pew pew. And I'm like, I ruined it. Like that one detail ruined the show for me. I stopped watching it because of that. Now I don't get me wrong, I tried to push through and then I couldn't I couldn't see anything else but that. And it drove me insane and I stopped watching it. Now yeah. you're you gotta play a st- statistical game. If you lose purists like me you're not losing the big numbers if you lose all your popcorn munchers because that's the majority of your, right. your people. And that's unfortunately who Hollywood plays to the most. Yeah. They don't care about the nerds that are looking for the Easter eggs in the story. They're not caring about the purists that are looking for authentic stuff. Right. And that's where kind of as content creators, you ride that fine line between like, who are we really creating for? Yeah. The people like us that are like the film buffs? Yeah. Or the mass audience? Exactly. So how does Hollywood balance the entertainment side versus what I like to call the the byproduct of a poor perception? How do you balance that? I think I think what it really comes down to is the strive and the push from the higher ups when you're making a picture or you're making a show 
to go, okay, cool, we're going to do this thing. Who are we hiring on as a as an LEO consultant? You know, if you're if we're making a Marine movie, who's a Marine consultant? Yeah. Army movie, Air Force movie, who, it doesn't matter. Like, who is our expert in this arena of the story that we're talking about? Yeah, that can consult us and make sure that everything's locked tight, that it's as authentic as possible. You know, I mean, even look at like, do you remember? I mean, obviously, you saw a few good men, right? Oh yeah. Do you notice how jacked up the freaking like ribbons were? <laughs> I did. How out of order they were? I didn't. I'm like these guys. As prolific as a film this was, yeah. Nobody gave a crap about how the uniforms looked. I didn't because they weren't Air Force, so I was, they didn't even pay attention. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what these crayon eaters eat. Yeah, <laughs> like they. Our ribbons consisted of like you know Top Golf, um, best stationary bike. Yeah, best. <laughs> God, I shit on my own people so bad. I love the Air Force. No, I used to hate running by the gym, like the gym at Fort Hood. I, like there was no one at Fort Hood. I forget where it was at, but like we'd be going on battalion runs in the rain and hail, and we'd look through the gym windows, like the floor to ceiling windows, and here comes the Air Force chilling on their freaking stationary bikes and treadmills, and I'm just like, hey man, heart rate's a heart rate. Heart rate's a heart rate, but like we're in the rain and hail, and you guys are just like in the warm little rain, like oh, we're too we're too meager to get out there. Hey man, it's not my fault. You I was just jealous because I didn't branch Air Force, but you whatever. Didn't score high enough to get on the Air Force. <laughs> oh my bad. <laughs> no, it's vision that did me in. Oh, um, but yeah. yeah, no, it, it's 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 one of those things where you know if you're going to be making, I don't care what it is, right? If it's about policing, if it's about the military, if it's about freaking. Like widget makers have an expert on set, yeah, going, hey, no, that's not right. That's not how this would really work. Yeah. Like, do you remember back? Um, I was working on a script that I was writing with a buddy of mine, and there was a scene. It was it was about this whole like mixed up like hotel room, uh, or this mixed up apartment room where you know it was kind of mistaken identity thing. And there's a scene where like two cops bust in. Oh yeah, I remember you telling. And me I was that. like, "Hey, I called you up. I yeah. was like, hey, so I'm writing this dialogue for this scene. Like, here's what I've got. Like, is this bullshit or like, what would the what would the cops in this scenario? And I painted you the scenario. I was like, here's yeah. what's going on. What would actual cops say? Yeah. I think the more that Hollywood does that, the better and more accurate they're going to depict policing. Yeah, we don't say freeze. <laughs> that is not a thing I've ever heard an officer say. And if he did, he would get made fun of mercilessly. Mercis, mercer, say that word. Mercis, mercis, mercilessly. Damn, mercilessly. The closest, okay, so I have a story on that. The closest I ever came to that, hearing a cop say freeze, mm-hmm. was so I have two best guy friends, and Neil and Alan. And I was sitting with, in, like, after high school, me and Alan would sit on the bed of his pickup truck outside his parents' house, and we would drink some beers and just shoot the shit, right? All right. So we're drinking beers one night, and it's, like, North Fort Worth, right? We're drinking beers, and all of a sudden, we see, like, a cop car go hauling ass by in a neighborhood. I'm like, that must be something going down. All of a sudden, we see another cop car go by, another cop car. Probably saw, like, eight or nine cop cars go by. Okay. And I'm like, there's some shit going down. Yeah. And so we saw like where like the last one turned and it was like, there was like a big park over there. And so we walked down to the end of the cul-de-sac that opened up into the park. And then right as we get around the corner, we see this dude come high tailing it around the fence. 
And then we see like a whole gaggle of cops come running after. And they're like, stop, police. Yes. That was the closest I've ever heard. I thought I heard one of them say freeze, but I'm not quite no. sure. Now, I will enlighten you behind that. Stop police is that's a court thing. Uh huh. And that is a witnesses thing. So when stuff goes down, of uh, independent witnesses, like I heard those cops yelling, stop police. That's what drew my attention. So now that guy's argument of, well, I didn't know they were cops and I didn't know they want me to stop. No, you, you, you heard them. And there was other people that heard them say stop yeah. and identify themselves as a the police. So that is, that's the, that's the reason behind that. Like as corny as it sounds, there's a reason we do that. Also, but why can't you say freeze police? I'm just curious. Mm. It just doesn't sound right. But, and, and, and freeze doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as stop. Then you can get like into like a court debate about like, yeah. well, what did freeze mean? Yeah, like it's Texas. It doesn't freeze out there. I didn't know how to freeze because it's not and cold you enough. Yeah. That, you have the literal like defender yeah. that's like, well, exactly. actually, that doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> that's a good uh, Paul McCartney there. Is that his name? No. Paul. Oh, no. That Wayne's was- World. Oh, uh, Garth. Garth, yeah. yeah, what's, yeah. But what's his name? Uh, Dana Carvey. Dana Carvey. That's yeah. what I was thinking of. That was a good Dana Carvey. That was like Dana Carvey does George Bush. Yes, that's what I was Not thinking of. Not going to do it. Not going to no, do it. No, new taxes. <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. So there's a reason behind why, why police say the things they say. Another one, when you hear a cop yell out, taser, taser, taser. You're like, why is he telling the bad guy he's about to tase him? We're not telling the bad guy. We're telling everybody that's around. One, I want you to know my intentions, what I, I'm trying to do. And two, if another officer was just about to put hands on put hands on, or he had his gun out, he mm. doesn't sympathetic fire. If he hears pop, he may fire thinking, oh, an officer shot his gun, so I need to shoot my gun. We yell out taser, taser, taser to preface, like, I'm not shooting a gun, I'm shooting a taser. So don't fire your gun. Because you always want lethal cover and less lethal cover. Oh, okay. So that's that's one of the, that's one of the many reasons we yell out taser taser taser. So that's another thing to consider in in Hollywood is making sure that like when you have like a suspect, you know, at gunpoint, you also have one officer that's lethal cover, one officer yeah. that's non-lethal. Right. All and, these tactical things that are good to know and yes. these are these are things that I wish that like I wish the different departments of some of these major cities, like I wish LAPD, and I'm I'm sure they probably do. I've never been part of this, mm-hmm. so I can't say for certainty that they do. But I wish that they would do a like policing kind of like here's terminology, like or at least publish a list. Yeah, here's proper terminology to use. Mm-hmm. Here's proper tactics that we do. It's hard, and here's officers that are lockstep that you can bring on set and they can consult you. That would be better to have, just because every even if it's a burglary of a car, every burglary of a car is different. Yeah. So it, it, it's all different. No matter what the scenario is, you cannot cookie cut a scenario. Right. You just can't. Uh, and in my perspective on a specific scenario is going to be different than another officer on the same exact scenario. So that's where you, I, I would recommend that you at least pick a local agency. Mm-hmm. Because the laws are going to vary based on where you're now. If you're shooting a movie in California, but it's based on Texas law, you want to get get Texas, a Texas cop. Yeah. yeah. So you got like, that. hey Eric, want to come out to California? Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Let's get some yeah. fish tacos. Yeah. Let's go cruise boardwalk. Absolutely. You <laughs> call me out there, bro. I'll do it. 
I love it. <laughs> um, so, yes, there there's certain aspects of policing as far as portraying the right the right way that cops do that. And like I said, like the taser, taser, taser thing, there's a reason for that. And then I want to reiterate another thing for you future-wise. If I'm out on a scene and I you pull out deadly cover, my partner better also pull out deadly cover until we can both assess the situation and be like, all right, I got lethal. You, you go to less lethal. We're going to communicate that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pull my gun out and he just comes up with a taser. If he does, we're going to have words afterwards. Right. <laughs> because I, if I got my gun out, you need to have your gun out too until we both figure out like, all right, we got some time. Let's switch it up. Like, I mean, what's happening with the, with the suspect at that point? It just depends. More than likely, if, if I've got my firearm out, there's a reason for that. Right. There's a lot of unknowns until I, can, I got time to assess. I may not have a lot of time to assess, but I need some time to assess. Mm-hmm. And I want, in an unknown situation, I want maximum because I don't ever want to be underprepared. Right. I don't want to pull out my taser and all of a sudden the guy whips around with a gun. Yeah. Because he's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I always want to be, my use of force needs to be above whatever their use of force is. No, and that's something that I think is not super well depicted in any of these shows or movies. Right. You know, it's it's like immediately you see the scene where, well, I don't know, they're like, okay, I, I'll, I'll go back to The Rookie because that's one of the main ones I watch, right? And yeah. you need to catch up to my step on that because that's a really good show. <laughs> How many seasons are we into? Uh just finish the third. Okay, so I can binge. Yeah, like, you can binge. I like binging, but it, it's it's really good because one of the se- one of the seasons I think it was at the end of the second one he actually got his um, rookie status extended because he was involved in a police officer uh, like officer involved uh, shooting officer involved shooting. Okay, right, and so he's there's this dude he's in pursuit and they know he has a gun and this suspect runs into this random person's house goes up the stairs is in the room trying to get out the window he catches him in the room he turns around. I mean, he's got weapons drawn on him because he's already seen a gun at that point. Mm-hmm. So, dude turns around facing him with the gun facing him, and he shoots him. Like According to what at, you're telling me, that, that makes sense. Twice in the chest, and he's he's down. And that was the first time you saw that officer take a life. And, and so then they showed the whole, like, investigation around it. Um, his, uh, his FTO mm-hmm. showed up and said, don't say anything, don't do anything, just come over here, take a beat, like, there's going to be some people, you know, asking questions about this. You know, here's your union rep contact. Like, definitely reach out to them. That's legit. Yeah. By what you're telling me. Absolutely. That's and, what I'm saying. Like, it's, And that's a good fucking partner. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And so this is like, listen, I, I, I know your head's probably spinning in a bunch of different ways right now. And so you saw that whole dialogue take place, which is why, like I was saying, like, it, again, there's, there's elements of it that feel authentic. I'm sure there's probably elements that aren't. Yeah. But I would reckon that they probably have somebody from LAPD consulting on how yeah, LAPD That does sounds practice. like it. I mean that is that's cookie cutter steps right there. Yeah. That's how it should be. But they cover so much and I th- I think that's a pretty fair template again along the same boundaries of Southland. Uh, I would say it would, it would probably kind of parallel Southland in a lot of okay. ways because it's like it, there's some gritty elements to it too. Mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, it, it, it's also some some real deal stuff. Yeah, you know, like they they had uh, 
they deal with like a cartel at one point, you know? And so okay. there's different suspects that they deal with. Sometimes they're like just short little cutaways that it's like, you know, drunk dude running out of a bar naked down the street, you know, like different stuff that you probably see patrolling the streets yeah. of LA. Not too far off from a call that I've had before. He wasn't at a bar, but had several naked guy calls. Never my favorite. No. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So I think we've kind of touched on how Hollywood kind of pushes these f- unrealistic narratives. So CSI effect, uh, solving cases in a day, um, you know, the, the verbiage they use, things of that nature. Um, you're in the now. You're you're not a, a guy that used to do Hollywood stuff. You're a guy that is in, you're doing it. You're yeah. doing it now. You're in the mix. Is Hollywood stacking the deck in that anti-police message today because of it? That seems to be in 2021, 2020 especially, that seemed to be the boiling the point. Boiling point. One of the hot button, hot button topics just pushed. And I, I will say in my little fishbowl, it, it didn't, that didn't hurt me. I I have uh, I'm in an area where citizen ports very high, mm-hmm. it, but we're also held accountable. Yeah. Um, but you got these other areas in in the media and everybody else is pushing that anti police thing, including politicians. I would answer that question two different ways, right? Because there's two different entities at play here. The news media, I would absolutely say, especially on the left leaning bias. Absolutely is stacking the decks against. Meanwhile, you have the right-leaning media stacking the decks for. That goes back into the political like news media cycle, yeah. right? Hollywood, as far as movies and TV shows, I don't see that. Okay. And what I see is like, prime example, going back to The Rookie. There was an episode where he's still in school. And he's taking, he goes back to start taking these night classes and he's taking an ethics class. Okay. And for a while, like he didn't tell any of the people in the class that he was a cop because it was mostly like BIPOC people in the class. And so he just didn't want to like have to go through that whole thing. Yeah. And he wanted his answers in the class to be like taken seriously versus like, oh, he's a cop. Of course he's going to say that. Gotcha. Right. And granted, he's a white dude in BIPOC class. So it's kind of this interesting dichotomy. So there's an episode where his professor shows up to do a ride along and she's kind of playing what <coughs> the the main she her character is kind of playing what a lot of the left leaning people out there are thinking about cops. Okay. And she brings up a couple, you know, things about like defunding or like oh let's make all the cops like reapply for their jobs and we'll do it in phases and that'll weed out the bad cops and it's like what I liked about that episode was she kind of played the, the the antithesis or the the, the antihero, while also not being the villain. Okay. She just had like one opinion and one side of the conversation. Yeah. But then you had another BIPOC who was the FTO, like giving like the responses like like listen like I I am on your side here like I agree with you but this can't work and here's why. So what can we do that's somewhere in the middle, you know? And then okay. her, the rookie guy, like John Nolan, he gets in and he's just like being trying to be awkward and trying to dis- diffuse the situation by just being awkward and goofy, right? Like mm, comedy relief, comedy relief for mm-hmm. sure. But 
the whole kind of thing, like even involving the the um, patrol sergeant, you know, like he's he's a BIPOC dude as well. So like it was this whole kind of conversation between all of them that was really interesting because at the end of it, she walked away going, you know what? Like, I think I found some of the good ones. And that kind of, she was writing a book is what she was researching. Okay. She's like, oh, I want to do a ride along to like, you know, help me finish my book. At the end of it, you find out she's already written her book, but she's like, I think I might need to have my like, book like altered, altered. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, because, and, and you showed her learning something along the lines of that episode. Yeah. Which I without, thought was really cool without being like super on the nose about it. Yeah. Without being like cops are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like, Hey, listen, like we all agree there's a, there's, there's a, there's a problem and we all agree that we're not quite sure what the like a hundred percent solution is. We kind of have some ideas on how things should go. Yeah. But we don't know what, like, nobody has the answers right now, it seems. Exactly. And so Hollywood, I think, as far as shows that are coming out, movies that are coming out, you still have movies that are still, like, like badass, like, yeah, we're going to go kick some ass, SWAT team, go, blue team, blue team. Yeah. But then, like, some of these cop shows, they're trying to be a lot more diligent about how they portray it and being able to show both sides and kind of play neutral. Okay. Which that's kind of been at least what I've seen coming out of the West Coast that's that's kind of the main like gist of it. Okay, you know, which that's I good think to is hear. cool. That's yeah. good to hear because it. I'm not saying that we. I don't like you were talking about with that show, the, the rookie. I don't want you to paint us, me, as do no wrong, right? Because we know that's not true, but I also don't want you to paint me as always being wrong I'm, we're not right we're doing most of the time and you'll hear this a lot 99 percent of cops out there are doing the right thing you know that's kind of the premise of this show i'm trying to show not only are we telling you that but listen to every single person i've had on this show yeah i'm not i'm not handpicking people i'm getting volunteers that just want to talk yeah that's all i've been doing now there are i asked you that's that's different but it was natural because you've been helping me do all this stuff. Yeah. And another thing is you're not a cop, and I want people to hear non-cop perspective. Right. So it's nice to have that. And it's it's a, it's nice to hear that today with the, with the way that the climate's been recently that we're still getting kind of a less subjective, more objective point of view where we're getting both sides and allowing people to come up with some sort of uh, – opinion based on hearing everything and i think at the end of the day like people just want to have their voices heard correct and so you know i agree you have a pendulum that swings both ways and i think what i've seen a lot in movies and shows is it's not just the cop voices that gets heard it's not just the people that are on the opposite side of policing that get caught up doing something and wind up in jail you know it's Everybody, everybody, everybody has a perspective of it. It goes back to the bottle thing. Yeah. You know, everybody sees only two dimensionally. They just see one side. They don't see three dimensionally. But when you rely on the other person, mm -hmm. you can tell me what's on the front. I can tell you what's on the back. And together working through that, we can form a 360 degree, three dimensional story. Correct. And so I like how, I like how a lot of movies and a lot of stories are getting pumped out that aren't just two dimensional. It's playing both sides and saying, 
all right, we're raising a problem with this side. We don't like how this is happening. And then you have the other side that's like, well, we don't like that it's happening either, but like, mm-hmm. let, you know, like here's the reality of the situation that you're not looking at because you're just reading headlines. You don't know what's happening in the behind the scenes of the story, right? And we're trying to just tell you like there's more to this story, so like just hang on, you I know? Gotcha. Yeah. And so being able to kind of work those both sides that – could be adversaries and that have been adversaries when you can kind of communicate and say, Hey, listen, like in a story format, all right, you have like the one person that's like anti-cop. You have the one person that's pro cop. They both have a dialogue on screen. Well, guess what? Now you're doing the same thing that you and I are. I mean, we're for all intents and purposes aligned on a lot, Yeah. but like on TV, you're having two people basically having a debate in a scripted format. And then you walk away with new information that gets presented in that format. And so that's a way that people are being clever about like bringing both sides of the topics to the table. And I think stepping away from that is a win because it's not just one-sided. Right. It's dual-sided polarity there. Yeah. As long as it's showing two, three, however many sides there are. Like, Right. I love that. And if Hollywood could do that, I, th- I think there would be a lot less stigma from my side of the house looking at Hollywood people. I'm like, how are you going to, how are you going to paint me in a bad light? Right. Like, and you're like, what? oh guys. But, yeah. but then again, you know, you also have to look at it from the other side of the coin of like, all right, I'm getting pulled over for something. Am I going to get shot today? Yeah. You know, like there's, there's all these stigmas of like, but where'd that stigma stigma oh, come from? Right. It's like, Oh God, what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, like from both you guys watching movies, yeah. like, Oh God, how bad is their policing going to be? And this is my point, whether the stigma's right or wrong, that's a, it's like the CSI effect. If yeah. I, if I pull you over and you have a legitimate fear that you're just going to get shot for driving by a cop, because that's what the media has done to you. We got to fix that. We do. And that comes that comes less than like artistic media and that comes more on the shoulders of broadcast media. I got you. And I think that broadcast media is doing a huge disservice to solving the problem by just painting biased views. They I wish that we could go back to the Cronkite days of just uh, the facts. Now the rest of the story. And now, yeah, <laughs> or the Paul Harvey, yeah. yeah. And now you've heard the rest of the story. Exactly. You know, I'm, I miss his big, like, booming voice. Yep. But no, like, where news was boring. Yeah. News wasn't meant to, like, get entertainment value. Yeah. I we, miss it. Yeah. I miss it. Like, here's what happened today. Yeah. There was a crash on 635, and two cars were totaled. And, you know, like... But you're informed on your area. You're informed on what's going on. Yeah. And now they've turned it into this extravaganza of, like... The whole, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, it's like, yeah. instead of the story of like somebody doing something good for someone, it's like another man was murdered in Dallas, Texas today and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Like tell that story. Yeah. But also don't only tell that story. Tell us the good things that happened. Yeah. You know? Like a library get, was opened up, whatever. Yeah. Like we like all that. get beat down by the bad stuff. Nobody cares about that anymore. And what's funny about it is all the all the news media agencies are shitting bricks because their ratings are just plummeting. Nobody's giving a crap about the news anymore. Because yeah. why? It's just negative. If you had a neighbor next door that every morning you walked outside was just like, 
hey, did you hear that the world's going to hell in a handbasket? And just negative Nancy every single day. Who are you not going to want to talk to? Right. That freaking neighbor. Yeah. And that's how the news is becoming. And so people aren't buying newspapers. They're not watching the news. Like ratings are going down as far as like even just the local affiliates here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Ratings are going down. It's like, well, why is this happening? Probably because like all you're doing is murder stories, trafficking, like fluff pieces. Yeah. Like what if we increase like what cool shit is going on? You know, what if we spotlighted like new businesses popping up or, you know, here's... Here, here's a woman stopping traffic for like ducks crossing the highway. Yeah, so you're you're kind of hitting on the premise and the idea behind why I started this show. Mm-hmm. Because I'm I'm tired of the one. I'm tired of the negative connotations, and two, like you said, everything's a fluff piece from our side of the house, police wise. Right, and that drives me insane. Oh, here's a cop fixing a bike. Okay, why are there like three different camera angles, and the cops like looking back like. Yeah. I'm fixing this bike. Like, or why is a cop like, you know, like here's a cop playing basketball with some kids, you know, or here's, yeah, you know, it's, it's all like contrived PR piece. And that goes back to like authenticity. Yeah. People see through that. Yeah. You know, it's not genuine. No. And I can tell like, you know, it's different. You see some, some neighbor that's trying to hold the camera steady while they're out the second story window of their house. You could tell that cop didn't know that that was going on. Yeah. That's authentic. That cop's playing basketball. But when it's like a PR piece for like a recruiting video, it's like, here's me helping a neighbor tighten a car. And it's like, well, number one, like, I mean, let's be real. How often do you see a cop changing a tire these days because of liability? Exactly. Or, or you want to help, but you're like, your car or stuff like that. You want to help, but you're like, oh, you're, if I do this wrong, because I don't know how your lug nuts operate. Yeah. You're going to sue me because yeah. we live in a litigious society. I will say that the body cameras have helped us out a lot with that. Now oh, it's sure. like, hey, I'm recording this. You're okay with me helping change this tire, right? And if I somehow break it, it's on you, correct? Okay, we're good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Versus how it used to be, yeah. you know. But, like, all that goes into play to, like, just be authentic in how things are presented. Mm-hmm. You know, and even in the strive for like social media, that's another part of this whole conversation that we haven't talked about. Social media. Yeah. It you have all this user generated content and here it is where it's all like, Oh, this is so like off the cuff. It's freaking you took yeah. like sixteen shots to get that TikTok video. Yes. You know, like, oh, we're trying to make it so authentic. No, yeah. that you took like a whole day to film this 15 second yeah. video. Shut up, Karen. And what did I tell you during this before we got started? You're like, what do you want to talk about? We kind of touched on things that I might want to talk about. Yeah. And you started talking about the time like, yeah, but, save it. But did you notice that I repeated it and it still came across authentic? Because here's how my brain yeah. works. I forget it. Yeah. Like my brain only records like 10 seconds at a time, bro. So yeah. like, you know, if you want me to like reset, give me 10 seconds. I'm good. Gotcha. Yeah. But for me, I, the one thing that I wanted to push about this show is like people can be fake for five minutes, 10 minutes. Oh, for sure. 20 minutes. You can't be fake for two hours and 17 minutes and 55 seconds. going for two hours. Oh my God. My girls are going to be zombies. No, they'll be fine. They got Netflix out there and snacks (laughs) and Sprite and they got all those things. So, but yeah, no, you're, you're right. Like, yeah. You can't be fake that long. No. And that's what I want people to see. I want them to see, I want them to see my personality as I talk to you about Hollywood and, and p- 
policing and the perceptions and stuff like that. And they want him to see how the SWAT officer that was here the other day, how he talks and how he is. I still want to watch that episode. I haven't seen it yet. It's probably my best one so far as far as downloads and viewers. Solid. Yeah, which is crazy. Well, everybody loves SWAT. I mean, they're the the Captain America is the police force. Yeah. For most people anyway. For most people. Yeah. So that, that goes into like, how you that's one thing i want to get off of you how do you view a, a style show like what i'm doing well, i think it's i think it's really cool i mean even like way back when when we first started you first started like talking about this idea with me i was like you know what dude you're actually onto something because you know you have you have efforts out there to like try to humanize the badge yeah i'm not going to shit on those efforts cuz i think those are good efforts but being able to kind of take the joe rogan approach and just have like unfettered unfiltered this is the is of is yeah. I'm a blunt guy. If you haven't noticed in this past two and a half hours, I'm a fucking blunt guy. <laughs> so I like other people being blunt and just telling it like the is of is and not being afraid to pull punches and say, hey, listen, you know, like, I don't agree with that. And here's why. Yeah. You know, I agree. I think we had a knock at the door again. Oh, hang on. <laughs> so now that we got that out of the way, he's checking on his girls again. So if you're listening to this, this guy is an attentive father because he keeps trying to make everything happen. For oh, they just wanted a hug. I wish I could get that on camera. <laughs> he just got a hug. That's so sweet. Aw, she just him. wanted a hug. She well, actually, she was like, "I want to leave," and I'm like, "I will give you. Just give me five minutes. I will give you the uh, biggest donut tomorrow." And she still want to help me edit and take nah, the I'm, film off of that. Well, yeah, that's gonna take like just that's yeah. not gonna take long because you're a pro. Because I'm a pro. I gotcha. So. All right. Well, I think your daughter gave us a natural end. Yeah. I think I, I don't want to. I don't want to make her poor girl wait out there anymore. <laughs> was that the youngest? No, that was the oldest. The oldest. Yeah. The, the old. youngest is probably asleep because that's just how she do. I gotcha. Well, it's almost ten o'clock. So yeah. That's kind of my kids usually go to bed about nine thirty ten. So. Yeah. But, They'll be asleep by like five minutes down the road from here. But before we go, sir. Do you want to give uh, any any briefings about maybe Halley's Heroes or anything? Oh yeah, cool yeah. You got going down the line. So one of the things that one of the things that I thought was cool, like how we first met, right? You know, getting roped into don't mention the department. Yeah, getting roped <laughs> in by a mutual friend. Yeah, that was like, hey, like you do video, like I have this project, you know, like let's do something. And once she told me about what it was, I was like, oh my gosh, like absolutely, I'd love to be involved. And so then we go through this whole like production process and then I'm like, oh, well, I need some more officers. I need some more like people like, you know, like for actors. And then, you know, you got roped into it and then we got you this costume Disney sent us and got you in like blue contacts and all makeup up with some mutton chops and like. That was a nightmare. A big like black Pope looking hat, you know, pointy shoulders and made you wait for like three hours, four hours, five hours before it was even your turn to shoot. Um, it was, it was, it was so much fun. And like, I remember like after that, you're like, this is what you do. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, don't you love it? And you're like, yeah, it was this fun. Is cool. You know, it was fun. I mean, like it was just, it, it, it was just a good, it was good fun for a good cause. And so like the whole promise, the whole premise of it, you know, was like, you know, we're trying to make this cool video that hopefully will go viral so that people will watch it and get swabbed to get on the bone marrow registry, you know? And so, you know, I still think it's cool that even that was three years ago. Was it three? It was three years ago. 2018, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, three years. You're yeah. right, man. Time flies, it does right? Go by fast. And so you know, three years later, you know, Hallie's still kicking it. You yep. know, I keep seeing updates and stuff from 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 the organization online and like stuff that her mom's posting and stuff that she's doing stuff. You know, and um, I don't remember their last stats. I have to I'd have to pull it up, but. All that to say, it'd be really cool if, like, anybody watching, do something good with yourselves and sign up to be on the Bone Marrow Registry, and you can go to Hallie'sHeroes.org. Yes. And sign up to be, they, they do, like, marrow, uh, they do swap drives all the time. You can even, like, order a kit to your house, and it's literally, I mean, we've all gotten used to COVID tests, right? Yep. It's not even as painful as a COVID test. You stick it in your cheek, swab it. That's it. Take the other side. This take the other one in your other side of the cheek. Swab it. Put it in the envelope. Send it in. Yeah. And the coolest part about it is, is whenever you like, if you become a match for a kid, you save their life. You save their freaking life. It's a cure, as far as I know. I'm not going to speak as a doctor, but I'm not a doctor either. I, I I think it's a cure. If you match with somebody, you have cured that child. And the coolest part about it was, was after we filmed, like the day where you guys all came over to my apartment and freaked all my neighbors out because they're like, "Why are those cops and firefighters at your apartment?" Yeah, like it's fine. We're filming a thing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, nothing bad's going on. Yeah. Um, like when she's like, "Yeah, I found a match," and everybody like, I mean, yeah, like. Tears. I mean, if we cried movies, like, yeah, come on, like that's like it's not dangling down to your ankles, you know? Yeah, you know, and so and and that's that's a kid who has a super rare blood type that's mm-hmm. super impossible to even find a match in the first place. So, you know, everybody has all this different DNA, all this different blood types, and if all you have to do is freaking swab your cheek to see if you're a match, yeah, you're kind of a dick if you don't, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. it's like, dude, I can, I, I don't care how busy you are. Odds are you're not going to be a match. Right. But at least get on the list to see if you are. Give a kid a chance. Yeah. Give a kid a chance. Yeah. Give a kid a chance. Don't be a dick. Just got to go through a little swab. That's it. A little swab. Doesn't yeah. even hurt. Yeah. It's in the cheek. It's not in the bad places. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> over. Here you go. Yeah. But yeah, if you guys ever get a chance to see Chris's work on Hallie's Heroes videos, just a... Go check those out. There's a, I think we did a, a pink influence, the, yeah, the, the artist pink. pink. And uh, that was good. It was fun. Um, I, I don't know. If she, did she ever reach out or did she ever hear? They went to, they went to a concert. And I think okay. Hallie sat front row on the concert or something like that. I, I, I'd have to check and see like the, the, the pictures from that. But I, yeah. I remember like they all, like the whole group, they all went to the show. And yeah. I don't know if she got to talk to her backstage or not or anything like that. But yeah. like hopefully like. Pink yeah. saw this stuff and was like, that's freaking cool. Yeah. Because I know that, like, when I reached out to try to figure out how to, like, rig up that whole, like, floating tea party scene yeah. from the Just Like Fire music video, mm-hmm. I talked to the dudes who created it. And I was like, hey, how did y'all rig this? Here's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to copy your work. I'm just being honest with you. Yeah. We're not doing this for profit, but we want to do this safely. And we have a immunocompromised girl that we're going to be flying up on this rig. So... yes. Can you help us out? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. And so they sent us the schematic. So I know that her people were involved in different steps like along the way. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like we collaborated with Pink in a way. There you go. That's, that's a res- I'm looking that's at. That's a resume builder. Yeah. Let's <laughs> put that on my IMDb. Yeah. So Hallie, if you're watching this, girl, we still think about you. Yes, we do. And we're still giving your cause the shout out it deserves. So love you, Hallie.
hearts. Aw, but all right, brother. I I don't really think I got much more. No, and I want your kids to not I've hate talked, me. I've talked your ear off. Yes, you have. Did you have a good time? I did, man. All it's, right. It's so cool. Like again, you know, you're like you were showing me. Like I was, I've seen this room many times on like Facetime calls. Yeah, I've seen the show, obviously, but like being actually in here and sitting in Zentino seat, tell my tell my farted in a couple times. Do it. Yeah, <laughs> slick the mic a bunch. <laughs> but all right, brother, we end this the same way all the time. A little fist bump. Boom. Glad to have you. Glad to be here. Hit my outro. It's good to have you, man.